sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. If you have trouble, trouble, trouble with your nice things, change to Lux Flakes, and they will bubble, bubble, bubble your troubles away. Keep dresses looking neater, keep pretty colors sweeter, let L-U-X bubble your troubles away. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. The Perfect Specimen, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger is my stock and trade. If it's the kind of trouble you can't handle without confidential help, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, as a doctor, I've had to tell many people that they were doomed to die. Well, today, I was told the same thing myself. I was even informed of the time and the method. All the facts were there, except who is going to kill me and why. I suppose I should go to the police, but they would only scare the killer off. Next time, he may not be thoughtful enough to warn me. I, I don't know what you charge for a service like this charge for a service like this, but whatever it is, I'm willing and able to pay. My executioner hasn't allowed me much time, so you can understand I'm anxious that you meet me at my office as quickly as possible. It's signed, Dr. Norman Penford. Hmm. Here, Brooksy, is something that makes no sense at all. Well, how can you say that, George? A man expects to be murdered and the notion doesn't fill him with too much enthusiasm. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's the note within the note I'm talking about, Angel. Hmm? Yeah, why did the so-called executioner announce the date of the event and apparently supply a blueprint of his intentions? Is he some kind of a newborn fool? Well, maybe he's so sure of himself he thinks he can't get caught. Now, that's the kind of self-confidence I like to see in people, Brooksy. Except in murderers. What was the address of Dr. Penford's office again? Tell me, Dr. Penford, you're a surgeon, aren't you? Not a psychiatrist. That's, that's right, Mr. Valentine. Why do you ask? For a very good reason. Uh, the note Dr. Penford got. Uh, read it again, will you, Brookson? Oh, yeah. Um, notice of execution. Time, Tuesday night. Place, wherever you'll be. Method, one unerring fatal shot. Executioner, someone who hates you very dearly. Guess who? Unsigned and typewritten. Yes, yes, I see what you mean. It does sound mad. Uh, doctor, can you think of any patient who'd go this length because of, uh, well, some kind of a grudge? No, 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 that's inconceivable. You know, this could be a crank note. Do you believe that, Miss Brooks? No, somehow I don't. Okay, let's start from scratch, Doctor. Yes? Before I can do anything about this note, I've got to know something about you. Oh, there's not much to tell. I have my regular hours at the hospital and... I see a few people here at my office, which is just a part of my home. It's really an uneventful sort of grind, day in and day out, except... Yeah? Well, my son Eric is home from college for the summer. It makes this house a little brighter than usual. And your wife, Dr. Penn? I'm a widower, Miss Brooks. Uh, my wife died 21 years ago when Eric was born. Oh, I, I see. I suppose this picture on your desk is your wife's. What? This picture. Oh. Oh, I, I should have put that away. Wonderful to think that Eric never resented it being there. Well, why should he? Well, you see, this was my first wife. Oh. 
We're learning more and more, aren't we, Doctor? I I didn't even think of telling you about Jane. Oh, Dr. Penford, in a case like this, when you don't know anything, everything becomes important. What about your first wife? Well, Jane and I were married less than two years. I, I haven't seen her since the divorce. The only reason I even know that she's still alive is that I, I send her an alimony check every month. I see. I, I met Eric's mother about a year later. I had a small practice in Kenton. That's a little mining town not far from here. Mm-hmm. All of which doesn't conjure up the figure of a crazed egotistical murderer. Yes, yes, I, I know. But as I said, my, my life has been rather humdrum. All right, Doctor, let me take it from there. From what I can read into this letter, I'd say that if the person who wrote it carries out his threat, it would be on Tuesday night, as promised. That's right, Valentine. And you're hiring me to see that it doesn't come off, as promised. If you can. Oh, Dad, Dad, I... I oh, Sorry, I didn't know you had patience. Oh, not at all, Eric. Uh, these are uh, uh, two friends. Uh, Miss Brooks, uh, Mr. Valentine, uh, my son. Oh, Miss Brooks, oh, Mr. Do? Valentine, I, I know I'm probably interrupting something, but look, Dad, how about doing the town with me tonight? We'll start with the country club, and then, well, who knows? Sorry, Eric, I'm, I'm afraid not. Now, what do I have to do to make him come out of his shell? Dad imagines I have a score of debutantes just waiting to make an evening of it with me. The truth is, I... Uh, Dad did say Miss Brooks, didn't he? His very words. Well, then, you you might care to join me. Eric. Oops, I, I didn't mean to go plowing through the bounds of propriety, but it seemed like an idea, an inspired idea, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm sure it would have been fun, Eric, but uh, I had a few other ideas myself. Well, good try. Oh, nice to have met you, Mr. Valentine. Now I'd better go up and shower. Six sets of tennis in this sun is like a Turkish bath. See you later, Dad. Well, that's uh, quite a hunk of man you've got for a son, Dr. Penford. Isn't he, though? But uh, we seem to have gotten off the subject. Tomorrow is Tuesday. You may be sure I haven't forgotten. You understand, Doctor. I'll have to go about this any way I see fit. Of course. So I'll be in touch with you, then. We'd better get started, Brooksy. I can't imagine why you're here, Mr. Valentine. I have only one interest in Norman Penford, the alimony check he sends me each month. Well, you're very frank, to say the least, Mrs. Penford. Well, we thought if you knew he was in danger, you'd be glad to give us some facts about his past, that it might help us Oh, to... I can give you a beautiful fact that will help you to understand Norman perfectly. Yeah? Just after our son was born, Norman left us, and we haven't seen him since. But, but we just met Dr. Penford's son. He told us Eric was a child by his second marriage. Oh, he didn't mention anything about another son. It might have slipped his mind. Now, wait a minute. I want to get this straight. I Please, don't Please, see... Mr. Valentine, don't raise your voice. My son, Wesley, is working in the next room. He doesn't like to be disturbed while he's writing his book. Oh, Mother? Mother, who's there? Uh, oh, no one, Wesley. Uh, just some people. Friends of your father, as a matter of fact. Uh, Mr. Valentine, don't go in that room. My father? What are you talking about? Certainly you should be interested in your father if he happens to be in danger. Uh, Wesley, I... I, I tried to keep these people from disturbing you. My name is Valentine. This is Miss Brooks. How do you do? Forgive me if I don't get up. Now, about my father. Go on. I don't feel I have one. As for his being in danger, Miss Brooks, you can understand my lack of concern. Yes, but... Now, I... get out, both of you. See? Now you've upset him. Uh, never mind the pen, Wesley. I I'll pick it up. Sorry. My father isn't really worth any such display of emotion on my part. Now, I would appreciate it if you left. Okay. That's the way you want it. I, I think you can find your own way out. I'm sure we can. Well, 
Ah. Well, that's what I call a beginning with all sorts of possibilities. Mm. Angel, I think this calls for some friendly cooperation from Lieutenant Riley. Valentine, I'm a public servant. I have a deep aversion to notes that threaten murder, but why, in the name of everything that's holy, didn't this doctor come straight to me? Oh, now, you're not going to pout, Lieutenant. George explained all that. I can't take care of this thing myself, Lieutenant. It's a big brownstone house with plenty of ways of getting in and out. And I only have two eyes. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, for the love of... Yeah, Riley speaking. Yeah, let me have it. Well, how long has this been going on? Nine months. 1250 in cash every month? Yeah, I see. Okay, uh, thanks a lot. Well, your hunch was right, Valentine. Dr. Penford's been drawing out $1,250 a month regularly for the last nine months, and in cash. Uh-huh. Wouldn't you say that smells slightly like blackmail? And to high heaven? You'll have those men, Valentine. Five of my best men. And once Dr. Penford comes home from dinner tomorrow night, no one will get in or out of that place without us knowing. Thank you, Lieutenant. Uh, hmm? Ah, oh, uh, shut up. George, you mean all we're going to do now is wait till tomorrow? Oh, no, Booksy, no. You've got a date tonight. Have I? Oh, how nice. With Eric Penford. What made you change your mind and call me, Claire? Well, shall we call it a whim, Eric? No. Well, shall we say I just wanted to see the country club? No. <laughs> shall we say a girl can't always admit how she feels with other people present? Then you wanted to be alone with me tonight, didn't you, Claire? Uh, Eric, let's go back inside and die. No. Please, my wrist. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. You must know how beautiful you look now. Not unless someone tells me. You probably think I, I'm just another college kid home for the summer. Maybe you don't take me seriously. Oh, I didn't say that, Eric. Then what do you have to say? Eric, Now, I... don't be afraid of falling in love with me. I can take care of you, Claire. There won't be any question of money. There... there won't? I don't even have to go back to college. I get $1,250 a month come rain and shine. Well, that's a lot of money. Where does it come from? No, that's not important, darling, but it'll always be there. I've taken care of that. What do you say, Claire? I, I don't know what to say. You've got to give me a few minutes to think it over. No, no, not with you around. That wouldn't be fair. Oh, Claire, darling. It won't be long. Yeah, Brooksy? I have only a minute to talk. Go on. Eric just told me he gets $1,250 every month. The exact amount Dr. Penford takes out in cash in the bank? Yes. Well, that's a new one for the book, Angel. A son blackmailing his own father. Return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about thrift. If upkeep for the family car has been putting too big a strain on your pocketbook, listen to this. It's a money-saving tip from Ben Franklin, 
a very real Ben Franklin who's a printer and who lives in San Francisco, California. Here's what Mr. Franklin says about RPM motor oil. Quote, I changed to RPM in 1941 and haven't spent a nickel on engine repairs since. Unquote. That's seven years without the need of engine repair. Try RPM motor oil starting tomorrow in your own car. RPM is compounded to keep your engine cleaner, to guard hot spots, to protect every inch of precision-made metal from its worst enemy, internal rust. No wonder this premium oil came out on top in a survey of Western motorists, preferred two to one over any other motor oil. So for longer car life with more economy, switch to RPM motor oil tomorrow. Get it at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, when a respectable doctor hires you to protect him against a threatened murder summed up in a typewritten note, you'd think after that your client wouldn't be likely to lie to you. But instead of the one acknowledged son, you find there are two, and son number one is apparently blackmailing his own father for a fancy sum. So with time growing short, you make your way to the little mining town of Kenton. Mrs. Vishniowski, you've lived here in Kenton a long time. You remember Dr. Penford, don't you? Oh, a good doctor. A very good man. Too bad he not stay here. Well, maybe you remember his wife. Was he happily married? Married? Plenty girls wanted to marry doctor. But he was no married man when he lived here. Wait a minute, what's that? Are you sure? Oh, yes. Yes, very sure. Of course I remember Dr. Penford, Mr. Valentine. Would you have any idea why he left, Mrs. Hogan? Well, confidentially, it was the morning after Annie Pulaski died, after having her child. Oh? Yes. And the boy died stillborn, too, Dr. Penford said. I'd swear that's what took the heart out of the poor man and made him leave town. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hogan. Never forget that night. Mr. Hogan and I lived next to the Pulaski's at the time. I remember us saying to each other when we heard the little one cry out in the night. Sure ain't it wonderful to hear the sound of new life coming into the world. I thought you said... I know, Mr. Valentine. The next morning, Dr. Penford told us the baby didn't even live to breathe. Well, must have been our imagination. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been. Though I assure you, Mr. Valentine, no marriage license had ever been issued to Dr. Norman Penford. Not here in Kenton. Our records are very complete. I see. And you're also sure there's never been a birth certificate for an Eric Penford? Well, if there were, we'd have it here. Yes, indeed. Any other information? Yeah. When's the next train back to town? Penford, let's stop kidding each other. What do you mean? You've hired me to keep you from getting killed tonight. There's only a few hours before sundown, and you still want to go along with those lies you told me. Lies? Such as Eric being your son. You know that's a lie. What? Well, how, how do you know that? You never even had a second wife, Doctor. Valentine. Oh, yes, you gave me nothing to work on, so I had to find out these interesting little details for myself. Those couple of years you spent in Kenton told me a lot. Now, just who is Eric? I... Is he the I... son of Annie Pulaski? Well, Doctor, 
You left suddenly the next day. All right, Valentine. I, I took the child. It was wrong, but think of the things that I gave him. He, he never wanted for anything. What would he have had in Kenton? Life in an orphanage? And then facing a world that was against him every inch of the way? Oh, no, I, I saved him from all that. Yes, yes, very fine motives, Doctor. You took a boy who wasn't your own, called him your son, gave him every opportunity. Still, you haven't seen or spoken to your real son for more than 20 years. Wesley? What, what do you know about him? Just something else I found out. Oh. Well, the truth is, Valentine, I, I never thought of Wesley as my son. He, he belonged to his mother, and I left it that way. And then when I thought I could have a son like Eric, I, I couldn't resist the temptation. He's repaying you beautifully, isn't he? What? What's that? He's holding you up, isn't he, Dr. Fenford? He knows he's not your son. Oh, there were so many lies to tell. And he kept digging and probing. And it had to come out at last. $1,250 a month. Why don't you go and tell him where to head in? Oh, it's not that easy, Valentine. I've boasted of that boy all his life. How strong and tall and beautiful he is. You just don't let a truth like this come to life all of a sudden. All right, all right. We got that all straight. Now, how does it tie up with that note? It doesn't. It has nothing to do with it. That could be another lie, Doctor. But it isn't, Valentine. This, this thing between Eric and me is entirely personal. I'll never admit to another living soul that he's been blackmailing me. And about tonight, all I know is what I've told you, and I... Oh, I need your help. You wouldn't walk out on me now, would you? No, no. Tonight you're going to get every protection a man can expect. But tomorrow morning, get yourself another boy or talk it out with the police. Thanks, Valentine. I'm, I'm just worried about tonight. Not still working, Dad. You, you ought to take a little time off. Oh, oh, hello, Valentine. Hi. Swell swimming at the pool today. I couldn't find anybody to give me any real competition. You never can. I understand, Eric, that you're also on the boxing team up at college. Oh, it's nothing. I, I just happen to have a left jab that seems to hit in the right place at the right time. <laughs> you mean something like this? <laughs> What are you trying to do? Oh, maybe a right cross like this, Jim. Oh, Mr. Hunt, Mr. Valentine. Dad, what are you trying to do? What's happening here? That, Eric, was to make up for all the times your dad didn't take you across his knees. Don't worry about tonight, Doctor. I'll be around. How you doing, Valentine? Ah, the good Lieutenant Riley. Your presence makes this quite an occasion. Oh, I just wanted to make sure you were happy with our service. If you were displeased, you know, you might decide not to put your confidence in the police department again. The subtlety of your sarcasm, Lieutenant, is a beautiful thing. But kidding aside, yeah, the way you've got your men planted, I can't see how anybody can get in that house without being seen. <laughs> oh, it's nothing. It's just a little trick I learned after more than 20 years on the force. I even have Hennessy trailing Penford to his restaurant. Oh, I didn't miss that either. Thanks. I told the doctor to accept no calls and hold her for the night. Once he's inside, he's as good as sealed up. Nobody will be able to get at him. Well, if you want me, I'll be hanging around for a while in the patrol car down the street. Oh, here you are, George. 
Here's a sample of all the letters on Dr. Penford's typewriter. Good, good. Let's get over here under the street lamp. Oh, hey, wait a minute, George. Isn't that the doctor coming home now? Yeah, yeah, so it is. Is is that you, Valentine? (laughs) Yes, we've met before, remember, Doctor? Oh, I guess my mind was wandering. Good work. You don't know what a difference it makes to know that you're on the job. Good night. George, Dr. Penford didn't seem himself at all. He's always so careful and precise in his manner. Well, in his place, how would you feel on a night like this, Angel? Come on, let's get back under that street lamp. George, that's the threatening note Dr. Penford received. I thought that's why you wanted me to use his typewriter. How do you like this, Brooksy? The E's are all the same. And the broken corner and the W's and the O's slightly higher than the rest of the line. Eric, he would have had access to the typewriter. No time for guessing games. I've got to get to the lieutenant. Yes. Sorry to disturb you, Lieutenant. Huh? But something new has been added. What's that? The note Dr. Penford received was written on his own typewriter. What, what are you talking about? That's a fact, Lieutenant. Uh, stay parked right here where you are, Miller. I'll be right back. Yes, sir. Come on, Lieutenant. We'd better talk to Penford. And fast. Penford? Dr. Penford? There's a light in his office. Georgie's. Yeah. Let's have a look at him. Why don't I? I can still feel his pulse. Miss Brooks, get on the phone. Call an ambulance. Okay. I don't see any gun around, Lieutenant, but he was shot. Oh, that's impossible, Valentine. Nobody could have come in this house without us seeing him. And I know he was all right a few minutes ago when we talked to him. I don't like repeating myself, but this is impossible. Still, it happened. I'm... I'm all right now, Lieutenant. Doctor, for the love of heaven, what made you do a thing like that to yourself, huh? Uh, You... you guessed it, didn't you, Valentine? How? Well, the lieutenant here kept saying impossible. No one could have gotten in to shoot you. So I accepted that simple fact. It was impossible. And that only left you, Doctor. Hmm. And I thought there couldn't possibly be a flaw. You were shot before you arrived at the house. That's why you were so vague about things, so anxious to get inside. Doctor, how did you know you weren't just going to drop dead in the street? Well, I was was pretty sure. If a doctor thinks about it long enough... He can find a way of shooting himself and still have a reprieve from death for an hour or so. What? I shot myself just under the ribs, upward, toward the liver. Then I got rid of the gun. The bleeding, you see, would be internal. And I knew with enough effort I could... I could make my way home. And the verdict would be murder, Doctor. Isn't that why you hired me in the first place? Yes. Look, Doctor, I know this isn't the time for a lot of questions, but I still want to know why you did it. Insurance, Lieutenant. They wouldn't pay off on suicide, but they would on murder. It was very important that somebody get that money to make up for, oh, so many, many things. It may have seemed as simple as that to you, Dr. Penford, but it was all wrong. The only way you could have made it up to your son was to be alive. 
my son, he, he probably wishes me dead. You can't blame him. I don't think any of us can understand what really is going on in Wesley's mind. I'm, uh, I'm just a simple cop, Doctor. But if you loved your son so much, why did you ever leave him? Why all this business with Eric, who isn't even your own flesh and blood? Let's just say it's a way a man thinks sometimes when he doesn't know any better. George, we're huh? here. Is it all right to come in? Yeah, come on in, Brooksy. Maybe now you can understand how your son feels, Dr. Penford. Wesley. Yes, Father. You... you cared enough to come. I wanted you to know I'm glad it didn't work out the way you planned. I... I left you and your mother when you needed me most. How can you forgive me? How can you ever understand that? It isn't as difficult as you think, Father. It's just like when I sit down to write, I want things I say to come out beautiful. When they don't, I feel ashamed and want to run away. You must have felt like that when I was born. Oh, uh, What is it, Wesley? Would it be all right if I could be alone with my father? Huh? Why, well, of course, young man, sure. Thank you. Mr. Valentine... Would you wheel me over to his bed? Hey, you know, Brooksy, it's strange the things you don't think of when you're on a case. What do you mean, darling? Well, when we first saw Wesley, for instance, remember how he pardoned himself for not getting up from the desk when we came in? Mm. Then when he dropped his pen, how his mother rushed to pick it up for him so he wouldn't have to move? Hmm. Strange the things you can't possibly think of or even imagine. Hmm? I mean, a father feeling that way about a crippled child. Well, it's not an easy thing to justify, Angel. I suppose it's as Dr. Penford himself put it. It's the way a man thinks sometimes when he doesn't know any better. Yes. And when you pin all your faith on a perfect physical specimen like Eric, and he turns out to be a gold-plated heel, you begin to wonder what you've done with your life. Then you dream up a last desperate scheme to undo a terrible wrong. I wonder if it's possible for the Penfords to find any real happiness after all these years. Well, it looks that way, Brooksy, if you can believe this note I just got. It winds up, thanks for everything, signed Norman, Jane, and Wesley. the second day of your vacation trip, and you're all set for some more happy motoring miles. But your car isn't feeble battery, or maybe just a plain dead battery. To avoid such a bleak moment, better get preventive service before you start out at your independent Chevron gas station or standard station. They'll be glad to test the battery's water level, terminal, cables. If it's a new battery you need, to assure instant starts wherever you motor, they have a quality Atlas that's made exactly for your make and model of car. On Atlas batteries, you'll find certified power capacity embossed where you can read it. Certified power that exceeds the requirements of the Society of Automotive Engineers. Atlas batteries for passenger cars are warranted for 21 months or more. So don't wait for your car's battery to let you down flat and unexpectedly. Get superior battery service tomorrow at a standard station or independent Chevron gas station 
where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... We're up against a remarkably agile ghost, Brooksy. I got tapped on the head twice before I could even turn on a light. But where did this this thing go? It couldn't get out. Oh, all I know is somebody tried to give me the same kind of scalp massage the late Mr. Mitchell got. Oh, what goes on here? I don't know, Brooksy, I don't know. But we're not leaving this haunted Victorian nest until we find the answer to that very pertinent question. Adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Herbert Rawlinson as Dr. Penford, High Aberbach as Eric. Noreen Gamil as Mrs. Penford, Don Diamond as Wesley, and Martha Wentworth as Mrs. Hogan. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter. Your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Father's Day is on its way, and here's a quick quiz for the ladies. What type of man is the head of your house? Is he rugged in the great outdoors? Does he help with household chores? Whichever type he is, he's bound to be the Old Spice type. So you and the kids treat him to Old Spice by Shulton. Finest grooming aids a man can use. Give Old Spice aftershave lotion, brisk and bracing, Happiest ending a shave ever had, one dollar. Or something new in sets. Aftershave lotion, men's cologne, and stick deodorant. Handy for travel in a bright red box, two dollars. Or splurge with the captain's box. Five great grooming aids in one handsome box, five dollars. There's a wide selection of Old Spice gifts, priced from one to seven dollars. Finest grooming aids a man can use. Old Spice means quality. Said the captain to the bosun. And for the package with the ship that sails the ocean. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. You know, ladies, with all the talk today about new wash day products, here's news you'll be specially interested in. News that means a dazzling clean wash for you. News about deep cleaning Oxidol. You see, it's an actual fact.
Deep cleaning Oxidol washes out the gray dirt left in clothes by the leading wash day suds. The leading shortcut suds. And this is a fact that was proved to women in an amazing washing demonstration. And one of the women present at this demonstration was Mrs. Donald Smith of Elmwood, Ohio. And here's what Mrs. Smith saw. In this washing demonstration, they used my clean clothes. At least I thought they were clean because I had just washed them with a leading suds the way you're told to. Then they washed those clothes over again, this time with deep-cleaning Oxidol. You should have seen the dirty wash water come out of those clothes I thought were clean. The dirty wash water showed me Oxidol really can get out the gray dirt left in clothes by those leading shortcut studs. Thanks, Mrs. Smith. And ladies, here's something we'd like you to do. Next wash day, use deep-cleaning Oxidol and see for yourself how much dirt Oxidol can get out of your clothes. And then, most important of all, look at the clothes themselves. When you use deep-cleaning Oxidol, your clothes look white and bright. Your clothes feel soft and fluffy. Your clothes smell sweet, too. Yes, your clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Yet, deep-cleaning Oxidol is truly safe. Deep-clean clothes stay brighter, new-looking longer. So don't wash clothes with suds that leave dirt in. Get clothes deep-clean. Sparkling clean with deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Ask your dealer for Oxidol today. And now, for Ma Perkins. Well, as Cousin Sylvester made his first mistake, at last. During the past few months, the cousins have gone from one wicked victory to the next, without Ma or the family ever realizing the cousins' selfish plans. Ah, but on Friday, on Friday, Cousin Sylvester seemed to overreach himself with pay. They were out at the country club dance, and Sylvester made certain advances to pay which were far from welcome. But let's hear for ourselves. Only a moment has passed now. It's still that same night. Faye has just run into the main room of the country club. Gladys. Oh, Gladys, honey. Hmm? Why, Faye, I didn't know you were here tonight. Well, uh, Hi. I want you to meet my friend. This is Mr. Uh, Miss Gladys, I'm in a terrible hurry. Will you excuse me for barging in like this? But Sylvester, uh, uh, Gladys, can you take me home? I do want to meet your friend, but right now, I... Uh-oh. Here he comes. Uh... Gladys, will you stall him off? I'll meet you in the powder room. I get it. A little trouble with the bully boy. Hmm? Your dear cousin Sylvester. Sam, say, let me handle this. Um, just tell him uh, I have a headache. Oh, tell him anything, but you're taking me home. Something I can do, Gladys? You just excuse me for one minute, Jimmy. You just sit right there and leave this to me. This is going to be a pleasure. Uh, looking for somebody, Sylvester, dear? Huh? Oh, oh, hello, Gladys. You didn't happen to see Faye come in here, did you? <laughs> I, uh, I seem to have misplaced my girl. Step in this direction, if you please, Sylvester. I have news for you. Huh? Oh, listen, uh, not now, Gladys. I'm looking for Faye. If, if, if she's not in here, she must be out on a porch someplace or in the... Oh, hey, kiddo. Would you mind doing me a favor? Uh, go in the little girl's room and see if Faye's in there. I said out here. And don't call me kiddo and kindly do as I say. You're not a member of this club, and I am. Is this some kind of a 
squeeze play. What's going on here? Out on the terrace, Roughneck. But I... Yes, super. Wait on, sister. <sighs> now, what's the score, baby? This is going to give me great pleasure, Mr. Hammaker. I think that my friend Faye has caught on to you. I don't know why. She only asked me to take her home, which I'm going to do. But I have a feeling that at long last, Faye's got your number. Miss Pendleton? I don't happen to know exactly what you think you're talking about, but I'm not in the mood for discussing it at the moment. I'll find her. No, you don't. Get out of my way. If you come another foot, I'll scream. And I don't think you'd like that, Sylvester, dear. That's better. Now, let me give you a word of advice. Faye Perkins is the best friend I've ever had. I'm not much of a friend to her, but she and her mother have been wonderful friends to me. While I certainly admire your taste in picking your cap for my friend Faye, I can't say the same for her. I never did tell Faye what you tried to get away with that night at my house. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I didn't even give you the good slap you deserve. Nor have I told Faye. Well, that was... <laughs> that was only a friendly little love, that baby. Who could help it? You're so gorgeous and you look My so name's mean. not Baby. <laughs> and I think you ought to have your head examined. If Faye wants to go out with a big two-timer like you, I've never told her how you called me up. All right, that's Faye's business. But Faye's just made it very plain that my escort and I are taking her home. So I advise you to leave well enough alone. You're through, brother. What did you do? Try to get fresh with her the same way you did with me? Well, if you know so much, why do you have to ask? Okay. You point out that I'm not a member of this country club. This is your team here, okay. Tell Faye I'll be waiting for her in front of her house. Tell her I absolutely have to talk to but her. But you won't be waiting in front of her house. If we drive up there and you're anywhere to be seen, I'll call the constable. If you have any doubts as to what will happen to you, Sylvester, you just ask around this town who the Pendletons are. Now, on your horse, brother, and nothing has ever given me more satisfaction in my whole life. Gladys, I'm going to get even with you if it's the last thing I ever do. Sylvester Hamaker, I'll tell you something. You get funny with me or with Faye Perkins, and it will be the last thing you'll ever do. Along, Sylvester. I think Faye's come to her senses at last, and the buggy ride is over. Who is it? Oh, oh <laughs> did, did you see him, Gladys? You know, I'm so pleased. I have such a nasty nature, but I never get a chance to use it. Now I was just so darn nasty. Oh, thank you, Faye. Tell me what happened. I, I've... I've been wondering. He just... just turned on me out of the clear sky. Hmm. Hand-to-hand combat? Yeah, something like that. He must have gone crazy. I've been seeing him for weeks, and he's never acted like that. All of a sudden, he wasn't Sylvester anymore. Faye. Faye, do you really and truly believe that your cousin Sylvester is otherwise? Otherwise? Oh, Gladys. 
Look, you don't have to take me home. I can get a cab. If you and your friend will just walk me to the door. My innocent child, listen. In case you don't know it, the cousin Sylvester you suddenly met out in the dark tonight is the real Sylvester Hamaker. He's a grabber. He's a wolf. He's wrong from top to toe. He's strictly a goon. If he never made a grab for you until tonight, it's because he's been playing some kind of waiting game. But I tell you this to your face, Faye. I have proof. We needn't go into that. He's a very bad character. But... Why is he... He's our cousin. Only my fifth cousin, but... Good heavens, Gladys, how can I say that to my mother? Ma loves the cousin. Then tell Ma the truth and let her love the cousins a little less. No, I can't. Well, I've had too much trouble lately. Ever since the cousins came to town, we've had nothing but trouble. Gladys, Gladys, Ma loves the cousins. She loves them. And do you love Cousin Sylvester? I never want to see him again as long as I live. Oh, golly, what am I going to say to Ma? That you, say, dear? I ain't sleepy. Come in. Hello, Ma. Hello, Faye. Lamb, ain't you home early? Or is it that I was up so late? Jeff will come over. He didn't go home until just 20 minutes ago. Uh, I... Yes, I'm... I'm home early. Lamb, you got a headache? Mm, all this hot weather we've been having lately. And then I suppose the country club was crowded, and, and I ain't sure that you've been getting enough sleep, baby. Why? Well, yes, I suddenly discover I do I have a little headache. I'll go to sleep right now, Ma. I'll do that. Does Sylvester drive you home in his new car? Oh, well, you must have. Is he really buying this car? Ma, Ma, you like Cousin Sylvester, don't you? Why, well, I, I, I think for all the nice things that you've said about him, say. And the nice way that he treats you and the interest he takes in Paulette. And, and around the lumberyard, he's real polite, too, and... Oh, sometimes I hear him talking with his father in a way which Shuffle and Willie don't talk to each other, but... Hmm, I'm not sure that Cousin Ed and Cousin Sylvester had all the advantages all their lives. Some things that Benitez told me, they, they've had a real hard time of it. You really have 100% Tolerance, don't you, Ma? Hmm? Your heart's so big you can excuse almost anything in a fellow human being. You are a very big human being, Ma Perkins. No, Negotian. What brings that us up at past midnight? I wonder if I should give him another chance. Give him another chance? Who did? Phone. Oh, I think it's for me, Ma. 
golly, I feel so trapped. What am I going to do? Ladies, prepare yourself for the surprise of your life the first time you wash your clothes with deep-cleaning Oxidol. For deep-cleaning means Oxidol reaches deep down into fabrics and washes out grimy dirt, gets clothes sparkling clean. You can see clothes washed with Oxidol are dazzling white and bright. You can feel clothes as soft and fluffy. You can smell clothes are sweet and fresh. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. So for a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, get deep cleaning Oxidol at your dealers now in the same familiar Oxidol package. And so, Faye wonders if she ought to give Cousin Sylvester another chance. We ourselves want to cry out no. But Faye's afraid to hurt her beloved mom. Well, Faye learns more about Sylvester tomorrow. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again tomorrow, same time, same station, to Oxidol's own Ma Perkins, presented by the Procter & Gamble Company. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. For a real-life drama, it's hard to match the climaxes that come in the vital business of developing and producing life-saving medicines. When penicillin was first produced, for example, penicillin mold showed a discouraging tendency to blanket the broth in which it was grown to shut out oxygen and restrict the development of the whole culture. With countless thousands looking to penicillin with new hope for better health, perhaps for life itself, a way had to be found to speed the growth of the mold. And a way was found. It was discovered that penicillin mold could be grown faster in huge agitating tanks through which oxygen constantly bubbles. An example of the value of constant research and experimentation. The House of Squibb, through nearly a century of seeking perfection in the production of life-saving drugs, has won the confidence of your doctor. And you may share that confidence, for the same quest for perfection is behind all the simple health necessities Squibb makes for your home medicine cabinet. To be sure you get Squibb quality when you buy, always ask for it by name. Ask for Squibb, a name you can trust. <laughs> Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from Hollywood, the Martin and Lewis Show. Featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Well, Dean and Jerry are back in Hollywood again, after a month in New York where they appeared in person at the Paramount Theater with their picture, My Friend Irma. Right now, we find them in their dressing room backstage here at NBC, getting ready for their first broadcast since their return. Ah, oh, Jerry, isn't it wonderful to get back to Hollywood? Yeah, Dean. Gee, I enjoyed those chips on a Super Chief. When we went east, I lay in my berth and listened to the wheels go 
Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis. Well, that was very flattering of him. What did the wheels say on the return trip? Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin. Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin. Well, how'd I get in there? There was one bad wheel. That's stupid of me to ask. Well, anyway, Jerry, we're home. We feel good. We had a wonderful time in New York, and we made a lot of new friends. That's right, Dean. We did have a lot of fun in New York. Except that one terrible day. Oh, I'll never forget that That day. one awful day when we got the message from Hal Wallace, our producer. You remember, Jer, we were sitting in our hotel room. When the bellhop knocked on our door. Come in. Telegram from Martin and Lewis. I'll take it. Here you are, friend. This is better than a tip. It's a pass to see Dean and me and my friend Irma at the Paramount. I seen the picture. Really? And do you recognize me? I'm in the picture. I'm the one who gets all the laughs. No kidding. Sure. Well, all I gotta say is them picture people sure did a wonderful makeup job on you, Marie. Well, wasn't he nice, Marie? Yeah, I thought he was very nice. Marie! Oh, come on. What about the telegram? Well, what does it say? Listen to this, Dean. Arrive New York tomorrow. We'll discuss next picture. Get tickets to South Pacific, Hal Wallace. Tickets to South Pacific? How can we get them, Jerry? It's almost impossible to get tickets for that show. But if Hal Wallace wants to use us in another picture, we gotta be nice to him, Dean. This is a crucial moment in our lives. It's like our first day at school. Or, or our first pair of long pants. Or the first time we realized that girls weren't just boys with junk in their pockets. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess it is important... Well, let's start looking for some tickets. Come on, let's walk over to Broadway. We'll try the Majestic Theater first. Gee, Dean, I get so tired crossing those musical bridges. <laughs> well, here's the Majestic Theater, Dean. Go ahead, ask the man in the box office for tickets. Okay. Uh, how do you do? I'd like three tickets to South Pacific. All right, here are three on the center aisle, fourth row. Gee, that's wonderful. What are they for? July 1952. <laughs> Look, mister, we gotta have tickets. Impossible. The only guy around here who can get tickets is Ezio Pinza. Pinza? All right, where is he? Let's talk to him. Do you know Pinza? Do we know him? Why, this man here is his father. His father? <laughs> sure, what do you think? Ezio's my bambino. <laughs> there, you see? But he's younger than Pinza. How could he be his father? It's a very backward family. <laughs> very backward family. You see, he's really younger than Pinza. We know that. And the reason that he would be younger than Pinza is that it's a backward family, which means they took their time with him, and it's all of, oh, I wish I was dead. Now, listen, I don't have any time for kidding around. There are no seats. Good day. Good day. <laughs> Let's try the advanced sales window over here. Say, miss, have you got any tickets for South Pacific? It's very important. I'm sorry, but we don't... No, it couldn't be. It's you. Sure it's me. It's him. And I know he is him, because I am me and him is he. Don't you remember me, Dean? I went to school with you in Steubenville... The Alexander Kasha Grammar School. You're not... not... Yes. I'm none other than Bessie Bellringer. <laughs> Gee, ain't it a small world? 
Yes, it's really a small world. You're right. Sure small world. Well, it's rather hard to get big ones nowadays. <laughs> Look, Dean, how about the tickets? Oh, it's so wonderful standing here and talking to you, Danny. Uh, say, Bessie, I do kind of remember you. You wore pigtails. Yes. Daddy used to get them down at the slaughterhouse. <laughs> It's delightful to fly Delta, the airline with the big jets, and the more that you fly Delta, the more delightful it gets. It's delightful to fly Delta, that's what seasoned travelers say. So to jet the best called Delta, fly Delta all the way. Coca-Cola Bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. Breakfast, David. Coming, darling. Mm-hmm. That coffee smells good. It is, and the eggs are just right, and the bacon is just right. In short, you're perfect. Yes, sir, I am perfect. Oh, David, it's a lovely day for tonight. <laughs> what do you mean, a lovely day for tonight? It'll be so nice to drive back from Connecticut with the moon. Oh, how do you know there'll be a moon? I ordered one. <laughs> David, do you know it'll be the first time I've seen any of your architecturing face-to-face? -face? Well, you won't see much. Just a stone foundation and a pile of lumber. Well, anyway, it'll be fun. Will we be home for late dinner? Do you think I'll order something I can make before I leave and just heat we it We will not be home for dinner. I know a wonderful little inn on a country road. Looks like it walked right out of a book. Is that good? Sure it's good. And wait till you taste the food best you've ever eaten. Lobster? No. Sure, why not? Well, where we're going isn't on the water, is it? I mean, it's inland. That doesn't make any difference. Don't you know they fly oysters all the way out to Los Angeles? I'm not sure I'll have the lobster, though. Darling, I wouldn't worry about it. You haven't finished your breakfast yet. Well, can I even plan? Oh, David, lobster or not, it's going to be fun. And I'm so glad you invited Mama along. Sure, I invited Mama Aren't we lucky that Hartley and Julia gave us their last year's car for a wedding present? Aren't you glad, David? Yep, I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad you're alive. But best of all, I'm glad we're both alive together. Me too. I'm so glad I could bust. <laughs> Say, the moon will surely be up on the way home tonight, won't it? I'll see that it is. It'll be a harvest moon, one of the best. And, uh, Claudia, yep. before I forget it, will you have the garage bring the car down in front of the door at 3? I'll pick you up here, and it'll save time. All right, darling, three sharp. Oh, I wish it were three sharp now. 
Well, Mrs. Brown, aren't you happy you came along? Yes, I've enjoyed every minute of it so far. Hey, just listen to the crickets. Crickets are out of season. Those are tree toads. Isn't it extraordinary how much a man knows, Mama? Mm-hmm. Lucky for women. Smell the air. Burning leaves. That's the nicest smell. Makes me hungry. Oh, you don't need air to do that. Is it much further? Nope. Is what much further? Hush up, Mama. David knows a wonderful little restaurant. Good. I'm company, so I didn't want to say how much further. I'm starved. So am I. I think I'll order a lobster after all. What do you have, Mama? Soft shell crabs. Can't you two girls wait to see a menu? No, why should we? What are we stopping here for, David? David, are you going to let me take the wheel at last? No, darling, I'm not going to let you take the wheel at last. Thank heaven for small favors. Anybody think you two are my born enemies? We are best friends. We tell you the truth. Why are you stopping, David? For supper. Yeah, it looks funny. It's the oldest inn in Connecticut. Oh, it's not very large, is it? One more word out of the two of you and you'll go without your dinner. The looks of the face, we might anyway. I didn't say anything, darling. Hope the service is fairly quick, David. It's getting late. Listen, girls, suppose you stop trying to manage this now. The food will be good, and I'll get you into town in plenty of time. Such a manly man. Come along, Mama. He's managing everything. David, I know you're practically perfect and never make mistakes, but... Who told you about this inn? Oh, I found it myself one day. There's nothing wrong with this supper. It's just not their day for fish. Or meat. To think that we will have traveled more than a hundred miles for an egg. Well, what was wrong with that bacon? It was delicious. Nothing's wrong, except that we had it for breakfast. Oh, here comes our Yankee host now. We'll get a good dessert. You Howdy. Finished, folks? Yes, all finished. What do you have for dessert? Well, what have you got for dessert? Oh, almost anything. For instance... Apple pie, peach pie, plum pie, apricot pie, rhubarb pie, cherry pie, coconut, lemon cream, gooseberry. I'll have peach. Coconut custard. Now, what is gooseberry pie? Well, friends, kind of cross between a raspberry and a blackberry. Tastes a little bit like strawberry. I'll have lemon. Right, y'all, friend. Seems quite an authority on pies. Oh, this place is known for its pies. And for being the oldest inn in Connecticut. What more do you want, Mama? Well, here you are, folks. Three pies and coffee. This looks like apple pie, not coconut. So it does. Oh, I'm danged. This tastes like apple instead of peach. They sometimes do, ma'am. Take a certain kind of peach, tastes like a certain kind of apple. Never known it to fail. This not only looks like apple and tastes like apple, it is apple. Apple it is, friend. Finest apple pie in western Connecticut. We specialize in pies. Have a different pie every day, only I can't remember which one comes on which day. So you just rattle off the whole list for good luck. That's right. Well, anyway, everybody always likes apple pie. Not if they had their mouth deliberately set for coconut custard. Mmm, say, this this is good. I'm glad I didn't get lemon. You know, this is the best pie I've ever eaten. David, you lie. Why don't you be a fine, strong character for once and admit you've been wrong about this inn? I'll admit nothing of the kind. He admits nothing of the kind. Are you watching the time, David? Have I ever let you two be late? Oh, but. Why is it a man thinks it's virile to always be just on time? Because men are the adventurous sex. Do you suppose you could feel adventurous enough to think about our starting back to town? Yep. Here's the check. Uh, got any change, Claudia? Yep. How much do you need? Uh, you got 50 cents? Mm-hmm. 
And that's another difference between men and women. What? When a man, woman asks for change, it's either a nickel or, or a dime. With men, it's never less than half a dollar. I suppose that's their adventurous streak again. Children, if you're going to settle all the differences between men and women, we'll never get started. All right. Ready, you two? Mama, are we ready? David, I've been ready for a long, long time. Hope you folks had a nice dinner. Come back again sometime. Not if we're conscious. Really, David, that place is like a bad dream. Nightmare is the word, Mrs. Brown. Oh, isn't the car a welcome sight, though? Yes, I'm going to lie back in this beautiful red leather seat and think about my nice little kitchenette apartment all the way home. Mm -hmm. I'll sit in the middle. You got enough room, Mama? Plenty. I can even move over. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Have you got enough room, David? Hmm? Say you look mad. What's the matter? I am mad. Wait until I tell that garage a thing or two. What'd they do? It's not what they did. It's what they didn't do. I left express orders that they're never to send the car over without checking gas, oil, water, and air. Oh. Oh, what? They didn't send it over. I mean, they were supposed to, but... I called up this morning the way you asked me to, and... Yes? Don't say yes like that. You make me nervous. Guilty conscience. Come on now. Come clean. There's nothing to come clean about. I acted very intelligently and used my head. How? Well, at quarter three, they hadn't sent it, and I mm -hmm. knew you had to meet the contractor at Redbury at 4.30, so I phoned the garage. Mm -hmm. And go the man on, said they on. didn't have a soul there to deliver the car. They were shorthanded on account of something or other. So if I wanted the car, I'd have to call for it. Well, why didn't you phone me to pick it up? I did. You left. Anyway, I didn't mind doing it. In fact, you enjoyed it. I loved it. Did it occur to you when you were using what you so fondly call your head that you have not got a driver's license? Don't be silly. I passed my test, didn't no, I? It's not the same thing. You are not permitted to drive unless you get a license. You're absolutely right, David. I shudder to think what might have happened. The garage is only around the corner. I was there and back in two seconds. Where was the car when you went to the garage? Standing right on the floor as big as life. All I did was hop in, back out, and drive off. Didn't even scratch a bit. Uh, just a moment. Before you hopped back and drove off, did you think to fill the gas tank? With what? With gas, of course. Now, why should I? Because it's only a myth that a car runs on its reputation. See that little pointer? Oh, is that what that's for, to tell how much gas you have? That is what it's for. I think it's remarkable. You think it is? <laughs> the remarkable thing is that we got here. The tank is empty. Maybe it isn't right. Maybe it's got a lot in it and it just isn't saying so. Mm. It's a fundamental of gasoline gauges that sometimes they're empty when they say they're full. But they're never full when they say empty. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to get some gas, idiot. Seems to me it was rather careless of you, David, to let it go down empty like this. I took for granted that the garage man filled it up the way I told him to. Well, you should have looked at the little pointer you just pointed out to me. Oh, I'm not excusing myself. No. Hey, mister. Mister, where's the nearest gas pump? Right over there by the driveway. <laughs> motor stop. Yes, darling, the motor stop. A gas tank isn't like a well. It doesn't fill up when you let it stand. David, is downhill to the pump. Why don't we just coast? That's brilliant, Mrs. Brown. I guess I just have to get used to the idea that you are the only practical member of your family of two. It's rolling, David. It'll roll right up to the pump. That's very obliging of it. No thanks to you. You just play in luck. You uh, folks out of gas? Bone dry. Lucky we could roll up to the pump. 
Well, you might call lucky. I do. Will you fill up the tank for me, please? Say, uh, how much she holds? Eighteen gallons. Ah, right big tank. You got far to go? Yes, we have to get back to New York, and we're late now. All the way back to New York? All the way back to New York, and we're in a hurry. Oh, wish could help you, friend, but it can't. Hmm? What's the matter? Is your pump dry? This here pump's been dry for over a year. Just keep it there for show. Oh. Cheaper to keep it there, as a matter of fact, and take it down. Labor being what it is today. Maybe he has some loose gas. My wife wants to know if you have any loose gas. Well, no. Isn't there a train we can get? Oh, sure there is. Trains run every hour. Nearest train is Danbury. Now, how far is Danbury? 24 miles. Oh, dear. Uh, how about a bus? Nearest bus is Woodbury. And Woodbury is... 23 miles. 23 miles. But uh, when you have to go somewhere from here, how do you go? Well, in a way of speaking, very few folks hear about go places, but when we do go, we drive. Any taxi service within a reasonable distance? Well, no. Of course, I could take you to a gas station in the car. You could pick up five-gallon cans. Well, certainly. That's what I had in mind. Well, the only trouble is my son took the car over to the hospital with his wife. They're married, going to have a baby at the Bridgeport Hospital. I don't expect him back much before midnight. And there's no telling, can't count on these things to the minute, you know. (laughs) No, you certainly can't. We might be sitting here until tomorrow. As uh, coming to that, no need of setting. We have mighty nice sleeping accommodations at the hotel. Oh, you were just coming to that. But we haven't anything to sleep in. My wife and I could lend you some things. We've got right good hair mattresses. Hair mattresses. I know what that means. Now, look here. Can't you two girls be sports? Can't you grin and bear it? You grin and I'll bear it. I hate to think of what the bedrooms are going to be like. Uh, yes, friends. My wife says she has some extra nightgowns for you ladies, and I got a flannel nightshirt for the gentleman. A nightshirt? That ought to satisfy the adventurous streak in you, David. <laughs> oh, I look pretty in a nightshirt. Pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, David, look, there's the moon, as round and full as can be. Ah, the lovely moon. We were going to drive back into town in the light of. <laughs> I bet it ran out of gas, too, and had to spend the night in the country. <laughs> but not in a flannel nightshirt. <laughs> All story material used on this broadcast of Claudia was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. Here's a tip for you people who drive a car. Take it easy. And here's a surefire system. At more and more service stations, you'll see those familiar Coca-Cola coolers. When you stop for gas, oil, or a tire check, have a delicious ice-cold bottle of Coke. It helps you relax, and presto, you drive refreshed. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you, transcribed, with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir and remember. Whoever you are... Whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes.
You know, householders, it's pretty hard to beat the satisfaction of having a perfectly heated home. And it's great to know that the fuel you're using is 100% safe, always dependable, and that it keeps furnace attention down to an absolute minimum. Now, that's exactly the kind of all-around heating comfort and satisfaction Blue Coal provides for thousands of American families every year. And if you haven't yet tried this superior quality fuel, don't put off a real treat. I can tell you that Blue Coal is America's finest hard coal, finest because it's mined from Pennsylvania's richest deposits. And then it's sized, screened, and prepared by the nation's largest hard coal producer, the Glen Alden Company. I can tell you, too, that each carload of blue coal undergoes a thorough laboratory test to ensure its quality before it leaves the yard. But if you'll just try blue coal and ask for it by name when you order your next fuel supply, then your heating problems will be over. For you'll find that blue coal requires less furnace attention, and your family will appreciate blue coal's steadier, more dependable heat. Just see if I'm not right. Call your nearest Blue Coal dealer tomorrow. His name is listed in the Where to Buy It section of your classified phone directory under the words Blue Coal. Mother, is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. It's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Look for that familiar blue Maxwell House tin, featured in stores everywhere at lower prices, the lowest prices in months. Enjoy coffee that's always good to the last drop. High the board with plenteous cheer and gather to the feast and toast the sturdy pilgrim band whose courage never ceased. You know, the pilgrims started the custom of Thanksgiving, but there are others whose trials and tribulations on an average Thanksgiving day bear inspection and a certain amount of sympathy. Take, for example, the Andersons who live in Springfield in a white frame house on Maple Street. They count their blessings and give their thanks, but with three children in the house, even a simple rite like Thanksgiving can be a pretty complicated affair, like this. Mother! We're in the den, Betty. Is it all right if I borrow your earrings? Betty! If you have anything to ask your mother, come down here and ask her. Jumping creepers. Sounds like she was reared in a barn. Stands up there screaming her head off. Jim. Hmm? Kathy is waiting to read her poem. Oh, oh I'm sorry, Kathy. Go ahead. Yes, Daddy. Go ahead, dear. Well, now what are you waiting for? I have to be introduced. Pardon me. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the competition in the fourth grade, Miss Kathleen Anderson. Is that better? Now you have to applaud. Okay, we applaud. Thank you. What a ham. <laughs> Has to get her applause before she reads the poem. Jim. Doesn't want to take any chances. All right, dear. Anytime you're ready. Yes, Mommy. Thanksgiving Day by Kathleen Joy Anderson, fourth grade. 
Thanksgiving is a lucky day. Uh, uh, wait a minute. What was that name? The name? Your name. Say it again. Kathleen Joy Anderson. Where did the joy come from? Your name is Kathleen Louise Anderson. But I don't like Louise. You what? Jim, Kathy and I talked it all over. My mother's name is Louise, and if it's good enough for my mother, it's good enough for her. It's only a middle name, dear, and if she doesn't like it... Why shouldn't she like it? What's wrong with it? Nothing, Jim, but it's her name. You're darn right it's her name. She's not going to change it. (laughs) Now, go ahead. Mommy? Go ahead, dear. Gee whiz... My grandmother and her mother were named Louise. There's no reason why she should want to change it. Well? What? Read the poem. Yes, Daddy. Thanksgiving Day by Kathleen Louise Anderson. That's more like it. Fourth grade. That's much better. Jim, please. All right, Kathy, go ahead. Thanksgiving is a lucky day for all the girls and boys. It isn't just like Christmas when your parents give you toys. It isn't even like Easter when you get an Easter bunny. Or even like your birthday when your uncle sends you money. What? (laughs) Jim. When did her uncle ever send her money? (laughs) Or anything else. Kathy. She's nine years old. He's never sent her a button. <laughs> Gives her money. He's so tight he can't even sit down. <laughs> Jim Anderson, I know you don't like him, but he's been very good to my sister, and if Kathy needs him for her poems... Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and your brother-in-law. <laughs> Boy, is that a combination. Go ahead, Kathleen. Yes, Mommy. Thanksgiving Day by Kathleen... Uh, uh, not from the beginning, Kathy. Start where you left off. I don't remember where I was. Your uncle was giving you money. Oh. That's something we can all remember. Yes, Daddy. This isn't a poem. It's a fairy tale. Jim, if you say one more word... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kathy. Is it all right if I start up near Christmas? Start anywhere you like, but start... Okay. Thanksgiving Day by Kathleen Fourth <laughs> grade. Oh, dear. Thanksgiving is a lucky day for all the girls and boys. It isn't just like Christmas when your parents give you toys. It isn't even like Easter when you get an Easter bunny. Or even like your birthday when your uncle gives you money. <laughs> I didn't say a word. Go ahead, dear. It isn't like the 4th of July or Decoration Day or Summer Vacation or Halloween. Kathy, when are you going to stop telling us what it isn't like and tell us what it is like? How can she when you keep interrupting? Well, it's supposed to be a poem about Thanksgiving, isn't it? And what has she said? It isn't like Christmas. It isn't like the 4th of July. Who said it was? Jim, the poem has already won the contest. We're just supposed to listen. But as long as... We're just supposed to listen. Go ahead, dear. You mean from the beginning? No, no. (laughs) Start after that funny part where your uncle gives you money. Okay. 
Fourth of July or Decoration Day or Summer Vacation or Halloween when all the kids can play. No! Oh, Jim! Good. Oh! Good grief. Oh. Scare a man half out of his wits? Mother, is it all right if I borrow your earrings? Look what you've done. Ash is all over the floor. Well, I'll clean it up, Margaret. Don't worry about it. What happened? Nothing happened. I knocked over the ashtray, that's all. Go ahead, Kathy. Thanksgiving is a different day. Excuse me, Kathy. I have to speak to Mother. Let her finish the poem, Betty. Father, I told Janie Liggett I'd be there early. She's counting on me. You don't have to read a poem over the radio. Oh, no. You mean she's going to read that horrible thing in public? Thanksgiving is a lucky day. I didn't see you winning any free turkey dinner. I didn't have to. The Liggetts are going to have three turkeys. Wait a minute. The way you kids talk, you'd think we'd never had a turkey in this house. <laughs> Jim. I've got a good mind to keep you all home. Father. Jim, it isn't a question of turkey. Kathy's principal told you. Why couldn't they have their dinner some other day? But Thanksgiving dinner was the prize, dear. For all eight grades, it's become a major event. And the Liggetts. If somebody looks cross-eyed, Janie Liggett has a party. Father, you said... I know what I said. And it'll be a relief to get you all out of the house. Your mother won't have to spend all day cooking a dinner. You'll wolf down in 20 minutes. Jim. We'll have a little peace around here. Even if it is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a different day. The day I like the best. Kathy, I haven't asked about the earrings. Which earrings, Betty? The ones with the rhinestones. Oh, dear, those are much too old for you. Oh, no, they aren't, Mother. Really, they aren't. Thanksgiving is a different day. Uh, just a minute, Kathy. Betty, if your mother says they're too old for you... But they aren't, Father. I tried them on. Don't you think something less formal would be more suitable? But, Mother... After all, rhinestones in the afternoon. Not good, huh? Not good at all. How about the little pearl ones? Oh, much better. May I? <laughs> of course, dear. Oh, thank you, Mother. You're an angel. Go ahead, Kathy. Maybe I ought to get the vacuum cleaner. The whole rug's a mess. Just leave it, Jim. I'll clean it later. It'll only take me a second. Jim. All right, Kathy. Now. <laughs> yes, get it over with, please. Thanksgiving is a different day. The day I like the best. It's even better than Sunday, which is called the Day of Rest. Thanksgiving is my favorite day. So long, everybody. Oh, goodbye, dear. Now, have a nice time. Bud, what are you doing with my suitcase? What? Thanksgiving is my favorite day. Come in here and bring the suitcase. Gosh, I'm not going to hurt it, Dad. Did anybody say you could borrow my suitcase? No, Dad. Then why are you taking it? Well, I have to carry them in something. Carry what? The football letters. They're going to give them out at the dinner. And the coach said... Put it back where you got it. But the coach said I could eat with the team. I said put it back. Holy cow. <laughs> Thanksgiving is my favorite day. <laughs> Jim, he isn't going to hurt anything. That's not the point. He has no right to take things without asking for them. But you were busy, Dad. I tried to ask you this morning, remember? I said, Dad, and you said you thought it was going to be wonderful for you and Mom to have Thanksgiving dinner in a restaurant for a change. And I said, Dad, and you said you thought everybody made too much of a fuss about Thanksgiving anyway. And I said, Dad, and you said... But... Hmm? Take the suitcase. 
boy. And next time, ask for it. I tried to, Dad. I said... Bud. <laughs> okay, Dad. Oh, is Billy here, dear? He's parked out front. Well, have a good time. Don't eat too much turkey. I won't. See you later. Goodbye, dear. Goodbye, Betty. Bye. Thanksgiving is my favorite day. Just a minute, Kathy. <laughs> but are you driving downtown with Joe Phillips? Yes, Dad. Why don't you drop Kathy off at the school? Okay. Come on, Kathy. I haven't finished my poem. Well, why haven't you? I haven't heard anything else for the past hour. I tried to read it, and first you said that Uncle Richard... Come on, Kathy, will you? I'm late. Nobody ever lets me do anything, just because I'm the littlest one in the family. Kathy, read the poem. Everybody thinks they can pick on me. Kathy. Thanksgiving is my favorite day, dear. That's where you left off. And they don't have any right to... Thanksgiving is my favorite day, though the skies are gray and murky. Because that's the day when I get to eat... The drumstick of a turkey. Well? That's the end. Some poem. Bud. It's a very lovely poem, Kathy. Thank you, Mommy. You mean that won the competition? Jim. Well, uh, I'm not surprised. It's, uh... Very good. A little uh, sentimental, perhaps, but very good. Thank you, Daddy. Get your coat, Kathy, and let's go. Mr. Bryant said he'd bring me home, Mommy. That's fine, dear. And don't forget to listen to the broadcast. We won't, and behave yourself. Come on, will ya? Well, stop pulling me. Why do you always have to pull me? Thanks for the suitcase, Dad. That's all right. Have a nice time, bud. You too, Kathy. Bye. Be a good girl, Kathleen. Goodbye, dear. Well. I'm completely exhausted. I don't know where they get all that energy. Margaret, did she really win the competition with that poem? She's only in the fourth grade, Jim. That's very good for the fourth grade. When I was nine, I could write poems like that standing on my head. (laughs) Well, if you've ever seen Kathy study, you'd know that that's probably the way she wrote it. (laughs) Margaret. Yes, dear. Have you noticed how quiet it is? Yes, dear. Hasn't been this quiet for weeks, has it? No, dear. It does you good to get away from the kids for a while. Gives you a chance to relax, take things easy. Read your paper and, uh, things? Yes, dear. Get the kids out of the house and it makes all the difference in the world. Get a little peace and quiet. Don't you? Yes, dear. All that excitement and shouting and running up and down stairs, absolutely unnecessary, isn't it? I suppose so, dear. Margaret. Yes, dear. I'm lonesome. (laughs) Yes, dear. father has a right to feel lonesome. After all, Thanksgiving is a family day. But whether or not the family can gather to join in the festivities, 
We all have many things to be thankful for. We Maxwell House people, for instance, we're happy that our coffee is America's favorite brand. Happy that in so many homes, Thanksgiving dinner means a pot of Maxwell House coffee brewing on the stove, as well as the turkey in the oven and the pumpkin pies cooling on the shelf. We take a lot of pride in our coffee, and we want you to know you can count on Maxwell House every cup you pour. We'll keep it always good to the last drop on Thanksgiving Day and every day in the year. That was very good, Barbara. Very good indeed. Now, our next winner is a rugged individualist indeed. Jim, it's Kathy. I'll be right in. She put her thoughts on Thanksgiving into verse and will now read the poem which won for her the competition in the fourth grade. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Kathleen Andrus. Is it Kathy? Has she started yet? Well, I just wanted to know. Thanksgiving Day by Kathleen Joy Louise Anderson. (laughs) Fourth grade. Thanksgiving is a lucky day for all the girls and boys. It isn't just like Christmas when your parents give you toys. Well, why doesn't she go on? Jim, please. Go ahead, Kathleen. It isn't as if she had to remember anything. She's got it right in front of her. But dear, she's probably very nervous. Well, she can read, can't she? Kathleen, we're waiting. I want to go home. Oh, now what's gotten into her? Oh, the poor little thing. Miss Anderson just remembered a previous engagement. <laughs> well, perhaps we'll have better luck with our next little guest. The winner of the competition in the fifth grade... You see, Margaret, I told you she shouldn't have gone. Oh, my poor baby. I've never heard anything like that in my entire life. She was frightened, Jim, that's all. Frightened of what? You can't shut her up when she's in the house. (laughs) As soon as she's supposed to talk, she makes an oyster sound like Georgie Jessel. (laughs) I tell you... Margaret. Yes, Jim? Do you think we ought to go down and get her? Oh, I don't think so. Poor kid's probably crying her heart out. She'll get over it. And don't forget, they promised her two drumsticks. I don't know. She didn't sound very hungry. Do I? What? You promised me a Thanksgiving dinner at the townhouse, remember? Oh, yes, I did, didn't I? I'll get my hat and coat, or uh, would you rather have me sue you for breach of promise? Margaret. Jim, there isn't anything wrong, is there? Oh, no, honey. Everything's fine. It's just that... Well... Yes? I've been doing a lot of thinking, and, uh, uh... Would you mind very much if we didn't go out? Why, Jim? I know I promised you dinner, but... Well, I'd just rather eat here. <laughs> there isn't anything to eat. Sure there is. I saw a whole heap of hamburger in the icebox. A hamburger on Thanksgiving Day? Well, Margaret, to tell you the truth, this, uh, doesn't seem much like Thanksgiving. Not like the kind of Thanksgiving we used to know. Well, it's finally happened. After only 18 years, you're tired of me. (laughs) You know what I mean, don't you, honey? I think so. Thanksgiving has always been a a special sort of a day for me. Even when I was a boy. 
It was more than just a holiday. It was a time when the whole family got together and had fun. We used to go out into the country to my grandmother's. We did, too. Go to my grandmother's, I mean. The whole family used to be there. My Uncle Rob and his wife and their eight children, and my Uncle Will and his wife and their ten children. (laughs) That must have been cozy. Oh, it was. We ate in shifts. (laughs) My grandmother always swore she was feeding half of the neighbor's kids. (laughs) Yeah, but it was fun. Did you play games after dinner? Heck no. We were so stuffed we couldn't move. Oh, you were a bunch of sissies. We used to play going to Jerusalem or musical chairs or charades. That's pretty hard to do with just two people, isn't it? Jim, there's one thing we mustn't forget. This is a new generation. It's a different sort of generation with new ideas and a new sense of values. Times have changed. Mm-hmm. I guess they have. Let's, um, let's go into the kitchen and see what we can throw together. You're an old sentimentalist, Jim Anderson. <laughs> That's what you are. And I love you. I love you, too. You know, maybe if the kids get home early, we can all go to a movie or something. How'd you like that? Oh, I wouldn't count on it, dear. Betty said not to expect her before midnight, and Bud's dinner won't start until six. Well, Kathy isn't going to stay out all night, is she? Well, no. Okay, then we'll take Kathy to the movies. Well, we'll see, dear. It all depends on... Bud! Hiya, Mom. Hi, Dad. What are you doing here? Fixing a hamburger. Want one? Well, what happened to the dinner? What dinner? At the training table with the football team. Oh, that dinner. Well? I don't know. I guess I just wasn't hungry. Weren't hungry? You? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call Dr. Simmons. Uh, wait a minute, Margaret. Bud, if you aren't hungry, why the hamburger? The hamburger? Uh, pardon me, the three hamburgers. Oh, well, I I guess I got hungry. Oh, Bud, if you don't feel well, please tell us. But I do feel well, Mom. I feel fine. Look, Bud, if you don't want to tell us the truth... But I am telling you the truth. I didn't like the dinner, that's all. Bunch of big goofs sitting around talking about football. What good is that? Since when don't you like to talk about football? What good is that? Since when don't you like to talk about football? Just a second, honey. Kathy? It's me, Father. What's she doing home? What on earth is... Uh, we're in the kitchen, Betty. I'll be right in. Oh, dear, just when everything was going so well. Margaret, why do you immediately assume that something is wrong? Maybe the Liggetts decided not to have a party. Or maybe Betty had the wrong day. Lots of things could have happened. The party was today. I know it was. Well, maybe it hasn't started yet. What's everybody doing in the kitchen? Oh, hi, Bud. What are you doing here? Oh, nothing much. Want a hamburger? Okay. Never mind the hamburgers, Bud. We've got things to discuss that are much more important. Than hamburgers? (laughs) Do you feel all right, dear? Sure. Why? You told your mother you wouldn't be home until midnight. Oh. Well, I... Well, I wasn't going to, but I came up with the most awful headache. Jim. You just said you felt fine. I do. Oh, I mean, I do except for this headache. Jim, I'm going to call Mrs. Liggett and ask her... Mother, you know if there was anything wrong, I'd tell you. I always have, haven't I? Yes, dear, you have, Uh, but... Just a minute, Margaret. Kathy? Yes, Daddy? We're in the kitchen. Come on in. Yes, Daddy? See, Margaret, I told you we should have gone down for her. Well, I had no way of knowing. What's the matter with Kathy? Your sister reads the first line of her poem and bursts into tears. No kidding. The poor little thing. 
Hello. Hello, sweetheart. Come on over here and tell your daddy all your troubles. I don't have any troubles, Daddy. I'm just not happy. Well, it isn't anything to cry about, is it? It was a lovely poem, darling, even if you didn't read it. And don't you worry, Knothead. If anybody makes fun of you, I'll poke them right in the nose. Oh, Bud. I don't care if they do make fun of me. I didn't want to read my poem, not to them. Why, Kathy, they're your friends. I don't want them. It's Thanksgiving, and I wanted my mommy and my daddy and my sister and my brother. I was lonesome. <laughs> Kathy, darling. She's all right, Margaret. Just leave her alone. Mother. Yes, Betty. I was lonesome, too. <laughs> oh, now, wait a minute. Oh, Jim. Margaret, not you. <laughs> yes, me too. Good grief. <clears throat> you sound like the third act of Uncle Tom's Cabin. <laughs> What's the matter with you, bud? Nothing. I just feel like blowing my nose, that's all. <laughs> well, blow it. Now, get busy with the hamburgers. Okay, Dad. How about a little food for the hungry Andersons? Well, I'm, I'm starving. Hamburgers. It's a fine thing to serve for a Thanksgiving dinner, isn't it? It sounds fine to me. I don't care what part of the hamburger I get. <laughs> as long as it's the drumstick. <laughs> that a girl, Kathy. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's sit down and be comfortable. Well, I'll take over, Bud. I'm doing fine, Mom. Oh, Bud, really? Now, don't argue with the chef, Margaret. Just sit down and relax. Well, if you insist. Four hamburgers coming up. Well, that'll take care of me, but what are they going to eat? <laughs> Betty. Oh, you big pig. Margaret, kids, before we dig into these juicy Thanksgiving burgers, may I say something? Sure, well, Daddy. This has been, I think, the happiest Thanksgiving day of my entire life. And if you don't mind, I'd like to say a special grace. Oh, Lord, we give thee thanks from the bottom of our humble hearts for the blessings thou hast seen fit to bestow upon us. We thank thee for the food that graces our table and the roof that covers our head. We thank thee for the privilege of living as free men in a country which respects our freedom our personal rights to worship and think and speak as we choose. But most of all, dear Lord, we thank thee for making us a family, for giving us sincerity and understanding. We thank thee for giving us the most cherished gift a family may know, the gift of love for one another. Amen. Anderson Breakfast Nook, life has eased back into its accustomed groove. Thanksgiving Day is over, but the Andersons, well, they go on forever. 
like this. Why can't I wear lipstick? Claudia McHugh does, and she's only 12. Here's your coffee, dear. Thank you. Well? Well, what? Well, why can't I? Because I said you couldn't. And eat your breakfast. Gee whiz. Oh, Margaret, we've got to do something about that boy. He's beginning to shake the house. <laughs> I'll speak to him, dear. If he can't take it easy on the stairs, don't feed him so much. <laughs> One of these days, he's going to go right through. Hiya, Dad. Good morning, Hi. Mom. Sit down and eat your breakfast. Good morning, dear. He didn't say anything to me. Hiya, squirt. <laughs> Good morning. Father, do you know what Bud did? He used my good cologne on his hair. Good morning, Betty. I used two drops. You used practically the whole bottle. I did not. Good morning, Betty. Mother, if I can't have a little privacy with my own thing. Betty. What? Good morning. Good morning, Father. That's better. <laughs> Sit down, eat your breakfast. Jumping creepers. <laughs> you know, Margaret, there's one thing I'm really going to enjoy about our Thanksgiving Day dinner yesterday. What's that, dear? We're probably the only family in Springfield that won't be eating leftover turkey for the next month. <laughs> yes, dear. What are we going to have for dinner tonight? Leftover hamburgers. <laughs> So you don't think your family will ever be hungry again? Well, you just wait till tomorrow morning. The kids will be banging their spoons for breakfast the same as ever. So be ready with steaming bowls of hot post-wheat meal. And tell the youngsters it's Hopalong Cassidy's favorite hot cereal. Yes, hot post-wheat meal with solid whole wheat nourishment and rich nut-like flavor that Hopalong sure goes for. Hot post-wheat meal. You'll see, you'll all agree, it's the best hot cereal you ever ate. These days, stores everywhere are featuring lower prices on Maxwell House coffee. The lowest prices in months. Bring home one of those familiar blue tins tomorrow and enjoy coffee that's always good to the last drop. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Exciting Dragnet is next, then We the People on NBC.
Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is air. A-I-R. Rally. You'll bet your life. The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Why doesn't that guy get lost? Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who's first to try and take it away from me? A pair of newlyweds, Groucho, selected by our studio audience just before we went on the air. And here they are, Mr. and Mrs. Merton Bedford meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And if you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you win $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Is that clear? Clear. Well, you're quite welcome. Now, uh, you're newlyweds, eh? Uh, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Rose Bedford. How, how newlywed are you? Uh, uh, last Saturday. Mr. Bedford, you are the, you are the happy uh, groom? I am. I don't want to seem nosy, Mr. Bedford, but uh, approximately how old are you? 61. 61. Well, you don't look it. And uh, would it be asking too much, Mrs. Bedford, if I inquired as to your age? Oh, we're about the same age. <laughs> we are? I don't believe it. <laughs> I'll call you Rose. Huh? You don't care. You're married now and you're out of my clutches. Uh... <laughs> now, wh what sort of work do you do, uh, Martin? I'm a carpenter. A carpenter? What kind of a carpenter? Huh? Finished carpenter? Well, I mean, you start too, don't you? Huh? Oh, yes. <laughs> you say a Finnish cop. No, I, di I didn't mean where you came from, your nationality. <laughs> I meant... Uh, <laughs> what kind of... <laughs> so what kind of a carpenter are you? A good carpenter. How, how long did you go with, uh, with Merton here before he proposed, Rose? About two weeks. <laughs> Is that true, Mike? That is right. Do you remember exactly uh, what you said when you proposed? I said, I planned a trip to Alaska. Will you go with me? <laughs> and was, was she to regard that as a proposal? <laughs> How many proposals did you have before you married, Merton, uh, Rose? Oh, four or five. Well, you did pretty well. Why didn't you marry one of the other boys? Well, I had three from him. <laughs> Why didn't you grab him the first time he proposed? I did, but he pretended he didn't hear me. <laughs> now, how did you meet Merton? At his first wedding. <laughs> uh, you see, his brother was my sweetheart. And we went to the wedding, and um, Everett and I took Merton and Laura in a 1910 Rambler up to Estes Park for their honeymoon. <laughs> well, I've been on honeymoon twice. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was married in 1912. Uh -huh. Then I married his brother in 1914. Mm -hmm. What was there about Martin that attracted you most? Do you remember? His was name. It, you... Martin? No, Bedford. My name was uh, Rose Bell Bedford. I see. 
And you just married him so you wouldn't have to change names? Yes, well, uh, that had something to do with it. And now I'd like to ask you a question, may I? I've never had a rambler, if that's what you're getting away Okay, Well, I'll answer anything within reason. this is a problem that has been presented to my children by me marrying Merton. If their mother marries their uncle, then she becomes their aunt. (laughs) And they become their own cousins. (laughs) But he becomes their stepfather. So they are their own stepbrothers and sisters. (laughs) Now, will eventually they become their own grandpa and grandma? Do you want to go through that again, Rose? <laughs> my, my, I, I think since he's a carpenter and you're, they're all stepchildren, he can fix the steps, I think. <laughs> Has anything embarrassing ever, thing ever happened to you, uh, Martin? Yes. As a coach for the girls' basketball team. <laughs> I was a coach? I was coach. We had a practice in the gymnasium. I was the only man present. I was standing in the center holding the ball for the jump up. Something out of my line of vision happened. And all the girls turned blushing away. I daresn't look back. (laughs) By and by the girls came back and later I saw one of the girls had lost her bloomers. What was the score then? Do you remember? Sportsman at heart. That's the only thing. <laughs> well, you seem like a very happy couple, and I wish you a long and smooth voyage on the sea of matrimony. Now, just watch out for a tidal wave about five pounds three ounces. Huh? <laughs> now, in just a minute, you're going to have a chance to make $2,000 in real cash. I don't know what other kind. <laughs> Friends, you know, it really pays to do business with a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. For every one of these dealers from coast to coast has an assignment that means service to you. A dealer's creed, if you like. And it's carried out by each and every person you'll meet at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's. From the skilled mechanics in the shop to the folks in the showroom. That assignment is to deal with you fairly and squarely at all times. To give you the quickest possible service and to charge you a reasonable amount whether it be for a routine checkup or a difficult repair job. For the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers believe in one policy above all others, that the customer's wants come first. That's why you can count on friendly courtesy and genuine consideration whenever you visit an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Let's see if a pair of newlyweds will get a chance at the $2,000. Venom and tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that $20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we 
we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected important cities of the world as your category. Is that right? All of these cities are over half a million in population. You have $20. How much are you going to risk? Now, Rose? Five. In what country is the city of Lisbon? Uh, Portugal. Portugal is correct. They're on their way, Groucho. They have $25. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the $25 are you going to try? Ten. All right. In what country is the city of Nagoya? N-A-G-O-Y-A. India. Is that the answer you two agree no, upon? No, I think it was in uh, Spain. No, no, I, I'm sorry. It's Japan. That's a tough one. They now have $15. How much of the 15 will you try? Two and a half. In what country is the city of Lyons? L-Y-O-N-S. Switzerland. Do you France. agree with that? France. Do you agree which, uh, now which, oh, which one do you want? Huh? France. France. France is correct, huh? Well, on the way again, they have 1750 I had a squeeze. 1750 huh? <laughs> Why, you can get a suit with three pair of pants for that. <laughs> Here we go. It's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 1750 are you going to try? $10 again. $10. In what country is the city of Zurich? Z-U-R-I-C-H. Switzerland. Yeah, you're right. It's Switzerland, huh? And they wind up with $27.50. Now, thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, stick around. You could still be high for the night and get a crack at the $2,000. Groucho, the secret word is still air. Perhaps the next couple will say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a married man and a girl who works in a supermarket. And here they are. Miss Helen Noyes and Mr. Bert Cox meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to your Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Miss, uh, Miss Helen Noyes, is that right? Uh, where, you, where are you from, uh, Helen? I'm from Ralph's grocery store in Burbank. You were born in a supermarket? <laughs> I, thought, I thought supermarkets didn't make deliveries anymore. <laughs> I, are you married? No. You're, you're, you're the married man, eh? But, uh, yes. Mr. Cox, uh, where, where are you from? Uh, right across from Covington, Kentucky, I was born. In Ohio, eh? Raised in Kentucky. Some people out there have been flooded by the Ohio River, and they want <laughs> how, did, how did you meet your wife, Mr. Cox? Back in the sidewalks of New York, back there in Buffalo, New York, and I was coming out of the restaurant. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're on the sidewalks of New York, back in Buffalo, New York? <laughs> well, I just happened there, and... I was coming out of a restaurant, it was very, very cold, and it was the uh, streets were all icy, and the sidewalks icy, and as I came out, she'd come in, and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, and we both went flat, and she said, where you come from? And I said, I come from Kentucky, where did you come from? She said, oh, you did, did you, wham? <laughs> she didn't like Happy she Chandler, said, I guess. I come from Scotland. I come from Scotland. Well, I finally you slid her over Scotland, to Buffalo, the Ohio River, and Kentucky. <laughs> well, it was kind of like... You certainly touched all the bases, but... <laughs> okay, anyhow, now you're in Buffalo, flat on the sidewalk, huh? I finally got her on her feet. I slid her over the telephone pole and lifted her up and... What, uh, what was that? <laughs> I slid over the telegraph pole and got a hold of it and grabbed her hand and we got up. Oh. And then uh, I said, uh, well, let's go in and And then you had a Western it. Union, was that it? Uh, <laughs> the telegraph pole? Yeah, I... you get married in the East. I was only noticing her blue eyes, her dark hair, and her red lips, and I wasn't thinking of anything else. <laughs> well, I'll go along with you on that. Go <laughs> on, you may fire when ready. I, I took her a buggy you ride. You took her for a buggy ride? The next day, she said she'd Well, what became of the Rambler, huh? Oh, <laughs> oh no, that was another couple. <laughs> 
This is really the Department of Utter Confusion here. <laughs> Niagara Falls, we took a buggy ride. You took a buggy ride over Niagara Falls? <laughs> I was driving this horse, my hand got cold, and I kind of slid it up her sleeve a little bit to keep warm. She asked me to. And she said, I'm not a corn in one finger, and I'll take it home mended. And just joking, I said, do you mend my, my gloves, and I'll buy yours. And she took it seriously. She said, well, wouldn't that be romantic? We could get married right in Niagara Falls. And I said, well, I wasn't quite prepared. I haven't been saving much. She said, you don't need any money to get married. I said, well, anyhow, uh, I haven't got a ring and anything now. Looking in her hand was a ring, her mother's ring that she had with her. <laughs> said, well, he said he came well equipped, this girl. <laughs> we'll go to Buffalo and then we'll come back he probably tomorrow. even provided the telegraph pole. <laughs> then we'll come back tomorrow and we'll get married. She said, I have my purse with me. And she paid the hotel bill and the preacher five hours. And she's been taking care of me ever, ever since like that. Nearly 50 years. Very happy. Well, I think you ought to take a deep bow to the audience. And I think you ought to get a big round of applause. Huh? Anybody can start off a marriage, flop down the sidewalk, and then stay married 50 years. <laughs> all the credit in the world, huh? Now, uh, what do you do in a supermarket, uh, Miss Noyes? I almost forgot about you. As charming as you look, huh? I'm a checker. You're a checker, huh? No wonder the boys in the firehouse like to play uh, checkers, huh? <laughs> Let's go to Buffalo and fall on the sidewalk, huh? <laughs> I don't want to appear uh, particularly stupid, uh, Miss Noyes, but just what is a checker? Well, I check the prices. I'm a cashier. Oh, you're the cashier, huh? Now it begins to register. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no. What do you do, huh? Well, seriously, I, I check the prices, ring up the things on the register and see that the things are properly bagged. How do you mean you properly bag the groceries? Is there more than one way to uh, <laughs> well, yes. bag the groceries? Huh? Sure, you have to put all the canned goods on the bottom and the soft things on the top. I don't know why you bother. When I get home, the soft things are always on the bottom anyway. <laughs> Do you, do you have to know all the prices, Miss Noyes? No. That's too bad. They live next door to me, and they're very nice people, the prices. <laughs> now, tell me, what artichokes go in the top of the sack or the bottom? On the top. You're just checking the checker, that's all. <laughs> now, Mr. Cox, I don't mean to be ignoring you, but I can't think of anything better to do at the moment. <laughs> Do any any shopping for your family, but mm, not much. Do you know the prices? No. Nobody seems to know the prices. Right? <laughs> Very nice couple. <laughs> Although I must admit they stay pretty high most of the time. <laughs> well, if you don't know the prices, how can you sure you're not being cheated, Bert? I'm not. He's gullible yeah. fellow, isn't he? Yeah? <laughs> Mister uh, Noise, how can he be sure he's not being cheated? Right? He can always check his sales slip. How do you know he wears one? <laughs> now, where would you put tomatoes on the top or the bottom? <laughs> well, you're fired. I was speaking of canned tomatoes. <laughs> well, now that my shopping is all done and I haven't got a dime in my pocket, let's see if you two will get a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question. You run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the big money. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but George Fenneman is offstage to remind our listeners. The newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Bedford, won $27.50. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous discoveries and inventions as your category. Now, you have $20. How much are you going to try at the $20? Five. Okay. Who discovered the law of gravity? 
I'm sorry. It was Sir Isaac Newton. Well, now you got $15. Remember, you're going for 2000 That's the big money, anyhow. Now, how much of the 15 are you going to try? Five. Who perfected the first electric telegraph? Marconi. No, no. That's an Italian dish. No, this was... Um, <laughs> no, this was Morse. Yeah, you only got $10. Now, how much of the $10 are you going to try? $2. $2? Okay. Who discovered radio? You got to talk. Oh, you got to talk. Yes. Oh, who is it? Yes. Please. No, I don't know. Wait you don't know? It's a good thing you only bet $2. Well, huh? Isaac Newton. Madam Curie. Huh? Madam Curie. Madam Curie is right. Well, we're on the way again. Now they have $12. Now, your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the, tri- how much of the 12 will you try? Shoot, 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 ten. shoot, the, shoot the words. 12? 12, 12 or 10? 12. 12. Okay. Who advanced the theory of relativity? Einstein. Einstein. I, Albert Einstein. Now well, they wind up with $24. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Well, our last couple will be out here in a moment, and then we'll know who gets the chance at the $2,000. George, who's ahead so far? Well, the newlyweds are leading with $27.50. And, Groucho, the secret word is still air. We invited some brownie troop leaders and some public school officials to the show tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mrs. Rosalie Jackman and Mr. David Bilovsky, and here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to You Bet Your Life, kids. And uh, if one of you says the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, he gets a hundred bucks instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. <laughs> Jackman? Yes. Very pretty girl, Mrs. Oh, thank Jackman. You. You're the brownie troop uh, leader? That's right. What, what is a brownie? One of those chocolate nut fudge squares you buy? <laughs> no. You get in the bakery, huh? Uh, brownie's a little girl. A little girl scout. Uh, how long have you been married? Eight and a half years. I thought you were about 21 years old. Oh, huh? thanks. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Do you have any children? Yes, I have two. Two you girls. Have two. I bet they're beautiful too, aren't they? Well, we think they're kind of cute. Do they like brownies too? They? Uh, yes, one's a brownie and she loves it. What What does your husband do? Uh... He's a tool inspector for Manasco. They make airplanes. <laughs> Well, you said something, and you win $100 for that, huh? What did I say? Are you waving to your husband? Yes, You ought to be a... What a nerve yeah. you've got of me flirting with you here all doing this. Here. You just said air, and that's the secret word tonight, so you win $100 in cash. Oh, compliments of the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. <laughs> now, now, let's, let's, get, let's get back to business, huh? Mr. Belovsky, you're from the public school? That's right, Groucho. And uh, uh, how, how old are you? Well, you, you'd be in about the seventh grade in school now, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'll judge you from my experience. <laughs> Just what do, you, what do you do in school? Huh? Assistant supervisor of attendance in the city school. Oh, you supervise the attendance, huh? Why I do the attendance need supervising? Huh? I don't supervise the attendance. I supervise the attendance. <laughs> well, why didn't you say so, huh? <laughs> Would you, would you be advised to amplifying that, uh, Mr. Belovsky? I'm the uh, liaison man, say, between the school and the home. Well, you can. I don't know what you mean. But... <laughs> I'm the, uh, the one they send out when they try to find out why a child is not in school. You're the contact between the home and the school, is that That's it? That's right. You'd, in other words, you drive a bus, is that it? <laughs> You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were a truant officer. <laughs> we don't call it that anymore. 
I was a kid, we had other names for them, too. <laughs> What's the difference between an old-style truant officer and an assistant supervisor of attendance? And don't say the spelling. Well, it's a matter of approach. Today we try to find out why a child is not in school rather than just grabbing him by the seat of his Steady pants. now, steady. <laughs> and drag him into school. Uh-huh. In other words, you try to find the reason they play hooky, is that right? Right. Well, I can tell you the reason, you know. <laughs> they hate school. <laughs> you must have some interesting stories about your job, Mr. Bozlovsky. Uh, could you uh, give us one? Well, I remember a time when I visited a home and asked for a mother of a boy. I've done that, too. Uh... <laughs> Before I knew what was happening, I was helping in the delivery of a child. They had expe expected the doctor. And you expected that kid uh, to be in school? <laughs> Certainly grabbing him at a young age. <laughs> and what happened? The doctor arrived. <laughs> so did the baby. Uh, how are your brownies, Mrs. Jackman? <laughs> are, th are they done yet? <laughs> and while as a brownie troop leader, you get pretty good pay, I presume, huh? <laughs> no, I do it just for the fun of it. Well, couldn't you have fun and get paid, too? <laughs> well, that'd be nice. What are, what are your duties as a... I'll call you Rosalie, huh? Sure, that's well. Your husband turned around the other way for a while. <laughs> Looks like like dues a nickel a week. And I buy the handcraft materials and mm -hmm. oh, just all kinds of How things. How many girls do you supervise? I have about 13 now. 18 girls at a nickel a week? That's 90 cents. That's not hay, you know. <laughs> Pretty near hay, but it's not hay. <laughs> Do you teach the youngsters anything about scouting? Oh, yes, we take them on cookout. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Mine is out on Thursdays. Huh? <laughs> I'm with a hangover Friday, huh? <laughs> we take them out to a park or where they can have a barbecue or a fire. And, and, and then what do you do? Then you call the roll? Huh? Oh, yes, we always call the roll. You cook the roll with the brownies? Or <laughs> you... Well, I'm sure it's a very worthwhile organization. There ought to be more organizations like that. It huh? certainly is. I'd like to join, too. Uh. <laughs> now, let's get back to you, Mr. Belovsky. Uh, pretend I'm a high school boy and I'm not in school, and you run into me in Sam's pool room. <laughs> now, that's your cue. Now, uh, find out what's wrong, huh? Hello, Groucho. What are you doing uh, here? How do you do, Mr. Belovsky? How do you do, Groucho? How do you do, Mr. Belovsky? <laughs> if we keep saying that, you'll never find out what I'm doing in the pool room. It's only fifth period now. You should be in geometry class now. I'll play the six ball on the side, huh? <laughs> now, what'll happen if I don't go back to school? Well, if you don't go to school, Groucho, you'll be a shiftless uh, ne'er-do-well, or maybe even worse. <laughs> That's me, Groucho Marx! <laughs> Well, I must say, it's been very educational having you two here tonight, and people like you who devote their lives to youngsters are doing an important job for the community. Now, you're going to play the DeSoto-Plymouth game, you bet your life. You beat our other two couples, you'll get a crack at the $2,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The newlyweds are still ahead with $27.50.
Here we go. Let's say Ohio can build you $20. You selected Latin songs as your category. Is that correct? Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you risk? Ten. Hmm. What's the name of this Latin song? Play, Jerry. Stephen A. Stephen A. And it on their way with $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to try? 20. Jerry Fielding will play. You identify this song. Brazil is right. And now we have $50. Listen, you're not spending all your time with those brownies. You wouldn't know that. Okay, you got 50. How much are you going to try? 40, I guess. Okay, give me the title of this song. Amapola. Amapola. Sarah Kleiman with $90 now. What a silly name, Amapola. Isn't that a silly name for a song? <laughs> All right, you got $90. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much will you bet? 40. What's the title of this Latin melody? wind up with a total of $130, and that means that they get the chance at the DeSoto Plate of $2,000 question. You know what makes it possible for a car owner to get really expert service at a DeSoto Plymouth dealers? Well, for one thing, the training their service mechanics get. Factory training. Not just when they first go to work for a DeSoto Plymouth dealer, but constant training to keep them up on the new service and maintenance methods that are constantly coming out of the factory. And it's important for all you car owners to get this expert service at a fair price. That's why it pays to go to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer, whether it's an emergency or a routine checkup. So for the best from your car, drive in where you get the best service at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Brownie troop leader and the school official, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question, Groucho. Well, that's a lot of money. You can buy a lot of brownies for that, huh? <laughs> Here we go for $2,000. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully, and please no help from the audience. Here it is. The last emperor to rule on the North American continent was driven from his throne in 1867. Who was this last emperor in North America? <laughs> What's the answer you two have decided upon? What is it? No, I'm sorry. It's Emperor Maximilian. He was driven from his throne in Mexico by Benito Juarez. That was a tough one. I'm sorry. So that means the big question next week will be worth $2,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $130 in the quiz plus $100 for saying the secret word. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Bet your life is 
a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $2,500. Well, it's almost time for Bingo the Crosby, so good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Remember, you can't stop quick when streets are slick. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Something very odd has happened at the Goldberg. It all began late last night when the family was awakened by sporty barking. After much investigation, a woman and a young boy were discovered in the barn. And Molly, seeing how tired and helpless they appeared, invited them into the house and put them up for the night. Then, in the morning, a neighbor delivered a note to Molly, and the family has just finished reading it. The notice caused a minor sensation. Everybody's talking at once while Molly tries to get Mr. Boughton, her neighbor, on the phone. Molly. Hello? If you're getting Boughton on the phone, forget it. Yes, hello. Over, Are you giving me Boughton to Oh, Rosie, please. Well, let's see. Let's see. Quiet. Well, wait till he comes over, then you... I said quiet. Sorry. You're sorry. I'm quiet. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Boughton? This is Mrs. Goldberg speaking. Speak specifically, Molly. Uh, is Mr. Barton there? Ask him to come over, if yes. Uh, nothing, only Mr. Barton was here this a.m. and he left a note, which is... Uh, um, uh, that you would like him to explain. Uh, the, the, the note... Hello, Mrs. Barton? The, the, the note is null and void unless you see... I mean... Um, I mean. Uh, tell her what you mean. All right, Mrs. Barton. So hang already? Well... Oh, oh, all right. All right. What's all right? Just a minute. Her son Floyd just came in. Maybe he knows something. Oh. Yes, does he, Ma? Yes? What's he saying, Ma? Oh, oh, I see. Again, I see. Thank you very much. Well, that's what I want to know, Mrs. Bowson. Because, you see, last night... Molly, don't the... start explaining. Just a minute, Mrs. Bowson, please, if you will. Please. The woman is asking me because she knows an inkling and she wants to know what happened. Please, so if you will, if you well, please. Ma, Ma, you please. Hello? Quiet. And quiet is it, huh? I'm on the phone. I have 16 years. Hello? Mrs. Barton? I, I thought you hung. 
Well, well, listen, dear. In the barn last night, the mud and the boy, well, uh, how big is a child? Uh, a child, small. So, so we took them into the house to sleep. They were tired, and I was tired, so we didn't ask questions. And now this snows, and, 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 and that's all, and that's the extent of my knowledge. Yes. Well, we were besides ourselves. Well, Oh, he is? Well, thank you very much. Very much. Bye. Well, well Ma? Oh, no. Lloyd said his father's coming over. Mr. Barton is coming over. Provide a lengthy conversation. Oh, yes, please, by the lengthy conversation. Please, come also, lady. Please. And when a person asks questions, it means an answer is polite, no? Yes. So? So. Why is it? It's your repeated habit to always answer every question with another question. No? Yes. Yes. So, so yes. The question is repeated. <laughs> Give me the note. Let me also read it again. You have it, Sammy. <sighs> Push me over a chair. Let me take my seat off. Let me see the note again, please. Here it is, Ma. There you're going, Rosalind. I'll see if David is still at home. Oh, David, David. That, that, that's the child's name, David. That's what the note said, my dear son, David. Don't go, Rosalie. You'll disturb the child. He has time yet to know that his mother's not here. But maybe she told him, Ma. According to this note, she didn't tell him. Family, please, read it over very slowly. Let me hear every syllable. Give me, I'll read it. Let Sammy read it, Carl. Why? No reason. Here, read it, Sammy. I suppose my diction is not according to Shakespeare. Oh, that's please with the backwards and the forward conversation for the moment. Please, I'll read it personally. No, Ma, let Papa read it. I don't have to read it. I read it. I know the contents thereof. The question remains now, what are you going to do? In which way, sir? The child is here, no? The mother is not. So? 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 Yes, so? But, Jake? Yes, Jake? What is there to do? That's the question I'm asking you. There's, there's nothing to do. The child is here, and you'll stay here until his mother comes back. If she comes back. She'll come back. And if not? If not? Yes. Not in, and the child is here, no? Yes. So? 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 So that's what I'm asking you, is what you want. Uh, what I want. What I would want, I would want the mother to come back. But if she don't, then he'll be with us. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Wait, Sporty, that must be Balsam. Uh-huh. That, that's Balsam. I'll open it. Totally. Sammy, no questions, you hear? No, no questions, Ma. We're not going to say No questions. What did I say? I said no questions. That's what I said. And when I said no questions, I don't need an answer to that. But, Ma... Do I need an answer if I say a word? This is likely every word I say. No questions. All right, Ma. Good morning, Barton. We are waiting very anxiously for you to come, Barton. I put the note I had for you in your mailbox. I was here kind of early, and somebody said there was nobody in the house, and she was all fast asleep. And knowing that the letter was kind of important because she told me it was, well, I fetched it right over for you. This is very important, Mr. Barton. Please sit down. Please sit down. dear, Still, Mr. Barton, a cup of coffee? No, no, I won't have any, thank you. Just, uh, just a match and a little tobacco from a pipe, thank you. Family, a little tobacco from a cigar, Mr. Barton? No, 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 thank you. No, I'll get you some tobacco, Mr. Yeah, all right. Uh, go, family. 
But be careful, don't wake the child. No, I won't. Yeah, mighty handsome figure of a woman. You mean... Uh... Oh, yes, ma'am. I, I mean the woman who gave us a note for you. We, we didn't even heard how she left the house. Well, she was standing in the road between Mariana Scudder and Corrine Foote's place when I saw her, and she waved, and I stopped and asked her where she was going and where she was heading for her. And she said she was anxious to get back to New York. Hmm. And uh, I took her as far as I was going, and, and that was to the creamery. creamery. But Judge Boy was just after weighing in, and he was going to New York for the holiday, and, and he took her down the rest of the way. Oh, she, was, she was standing with the co-curring footprint. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, she, and she went to New York. Well, as far as I know, that's where Judge Boy was going, and she went on his truck. Some of my oh, thank you, Sammy. Thank you. Uh, you ever hear from that pretty girl of yours, Sammy? Match. Uh, thanks, thanks. Well, uh, I guess you're glad to have Sammy still under your roof, ain't you, Mr. Goldberg? Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I've got a light, Sammy. Thank you. Oh. But, Mr. Boughton, how did the little boy's mother come to give you a note to us? Well, uh, I saw she was distressed, and I asked her could I do something, and she said she didn't have any money. And that was the reason she slept in your house. Did she say Did that? Did she the... say she, well, why she had to sleep in our house and why she was strangled on the road? Rand did not. Well, uh, she was on the train going to New York, and the child asked for the window to be opened, and her pocketbook fell out, and her ticket was in the pocketbook. Huh. I don't think they'd put her off the train. But she said they did, and, and they both walked and, and hit. And, well, well, my mind wasn't much on the story she was telling. Because I didn't believe much of it. But when she asked me if I knew the folks who lived this side of the church, I said yes. Did you just have gold, but... Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And she asked me would I be so kind as to give you this note because she'd left a little boy with you. Huh. And I said that to make her feel better that she couldn't have left him in better hands. Thank you. She, she tried a little, and, well, by that time I was at the creamery. Mama! Oh, now, listen. She's up. Mama! I'm fine to do now. Little David stands there, obviously frightened and confused, asking for his mother. But the stream of words he utters means very little to the Goldbergs. They can see how he feels, but they can't understand him. And Jake looks at Molly, wondering what's to be done now. The Johnson Wax Program with Flipper McGee and Molly, who join with our sponsors in urging you to support the Red Cross immediately and to the best of your ability. A donation to the Red Cross is an investment in humanity. Thank you. <laughs> Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson and the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Why?
This is Circus Day in Westful Vista. The town is plastered with posters, and our hero is the proud possessor of two general admission tickets. He is all of a Twitter to get going. And here, urging his better half to more speed, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, come on, Molly. I want to get to the circus and see that hula dancer shake it up. Hey, shake it up, Molly. Now, listen here. All right, dearie, all right. We've plenty of time. No, we haven't. We're so late now, I better call a cab. What? Call a cab to go to a circus? Why, certainly. Why not? Well, it just doesn't seem the right spirit somehow. It's like wearing evening clothes to a fish fry. <laughs> just the same, I ain't going to miss any of this circus by being late. Give me the phone. Hello, operator. Give me the whistle, Mr. Taxi... Oh, is that you, Mert? Oh. <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? There's, eh? What's eh, Mert? Your aunt. Got beat up by your uncle, eh? Oh, heavenly days. How brutal. What do you mean, brutal? Her uncle got up first this morning and had the coffee all made by the time she was out of bed. <laughs> What's eh, Mert? Oh, no answer at the cab company, eh? Oh, he must be out. Okay, Mert. Thanks. <laughs> Well, I tell you, it'll do us good to walk, dear. Boy, will I be glad to get a smell of a real circus again. <laughs> it'll bring back the old days when I was a bull boss with the old wagon back and Hollis outfit. Bull boss? Yeah. In charge of the elephants. Oh. What do you think I meant? Uh, well, <laughs> not that. <laughs> oh. Well, sir, I'll never forget one time we was playing in punk. Hello, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Say, where are you kids going to spend your summer vacation? Well, we haven't decided yet, Mr. Oldtimer. Why? Well, I just wanted to suggest the Canadian Rockies. Why the Canadian Rockies? Well, I got a nephew up there I'd kind of like to see again. Thought you might have room for me in the back seat, kids. I wouldn't be any trouble, honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm loads of fun. <laughs> Well, if we go that way, we'll let you know, old-timer. But I must say, you're the first living room hitchhiker I ever met. <laughs> That's very good, Mr. Uh, seeing that I'm in a liberal mood today, Johnny, I'd say that was pretty good. <laughs> but it ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one feller says to tell a feller, Hey, man. <laughs> Looks like television is really here, don't it? Imagine seeing and hearing programs hundreds of miles away. Yep, says t'other feller. And you can smell some of them even farther than that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal, kid. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Now, don't forget, if you go to the Canadian Rockies this summer, I'm going along. And you'll never regret it till it's too late. Well, so long, <laughs> Come on, hurry up, will you, Molly? I got to well, I am hurrying, well, McGee. Get... My goodness, anybody think you never saw a circus well. before? Say, incidentally, how much did the ticket set you back? Not a dime. Not a thin, shiny, well-worn dime, baby. <laughs> I got these tickets the easy way. Professional curtsy. <laughs> Meaning what? Well, you see, it was this way. I agreed... Oh, shucks, we'll never get to the circus this way. No. Come in. I'm going to the circus. I'm going to the circus. I'm... Oh, wait a minute. What you so excited about, Gildersleeve? So are we going to the circus. Well, I wish I could be as enthusiastic as you two. To me, a circus is just a number two road company of the Brooklyn Dodgers. 
Is that so? Well, I don't care so much about the animals. But, oh, boy, do I like those trapeze performers. Yeah, and the trick riding. And the tightrope walkers. Yeah. Gee, I love tightrope walkers. When they jump up on a rope like this and balance. Get down off of the back of that Davenport, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're a hard woman, Mrs. McGee. Hey, Gildy. What? You got tickets, or are you going to crawl under the tent? Well, I got tickets, but I got a good notion to crawl under the tent anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just for old time's sake, McGee. Yeah, me too. How about it, Molly? You game to No. Tie? No, I'm not. If you two want to act like you're still wearing short pants, don't expect me to act the same. Uh, I mean, oh! Oh, gee. <laughs> That's all right, Mrs. McGee. I didn't get it. <laughs> Well, you coming along with us, Gilly? No, thanks. I like to prowl around alone. Oh. <laughs> you know, last year I, I walked right up and talked to one of the lady acrobats. No, did you, honest? I sure did, McGee. She, she was pretty. <laughs> I still got a spangle she dropped off her dress. Look. Oh, boy. What do you want for it? What did you give me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heavenly days. Come on, McGee. I'm ready. Okay, let's go. This way, Gildersleeve. Where are you going, McGee? Out the back door. What's the matter with the front door? It won't open. Why not, McGee? Got circus posters plastered all over it. What? What? Fibber McGee, what on earth? Now, wait a minute, Molly. It was just a professional curtsy. You don't think they give me these two tickets for nothing, do you? <laughs> street in every city, there are cars right now that need Johnson's car new. Cars that look dull and dingy because their owners still think it's expensive or hard work to clean and wax polish them. Now, before Johnson chemists developed the sensational car new, this was true. But today, with car new, you can both clean and wax polish your car in one easy operation. Two jobs at one and the same time, in half the time it used to take. Every housewife knows how Johnson's self-polishing glow coat has taken the labor out of floor polishing. And soon, every car owner will know how Carnew has taken both the hard work and the high cost out of car polishing. Carnew is a liquid. You simply apply it with a cloth, massaging the finish gently. It dries to a white powder, wipe off the powder, and you'll say with thousands of other car owners from coast to coast, your car looks like new when you use Carnew. Buy a can right away from your regular wax dealer, auto supply store, or service station. Buy a toy whip. What for? I don't know. I always buy a toy whip. All right, I guess... folks. Step right up and quench your thirst with nice, fresh glass of punk lemonade. It reads refreshing, exhilarating, stimulating. Get your punk lemonade here. Punk lemonade. Get it? Get hey, it. hey, punk. bud. Uh, you mean pink lemonade, don't you? You tried it, folks? No, we haven't. Get your punk lemonade here. <laughs> Is who sells the toy whips? I think I'll get one with a red tassel. Well, I Good had one last. Mister? 
Oh, hello there, little girl. Ain't lost, are you? No, are you? No. Now, don't tell me you're here all alone. All righty. I won't say a word about it, I bet you. What? You mean you are? No. No what? Hmm? Are you here all alone or not? No. I came with my daddy. Oh. He's over there buying some cotton candy. (laughs) (laughs) You like cotton candy? No. (laughs) No, but he does. I see. Well, this must be a great day for you, sis, coming to a big circus like this. Pretty exciting, ain't it? Oh, I don't know, mister. The same old stuff. But my daddy gets such a bang out of it, I pretend I love it. (laughs) Personally, I'd rather stay home with a good book any day. Well, that's very tactful of you, sis. I hope you'll always try to be a pal to your old man. Oh, sure. He's a trial at times, but as a rule, he's pretty good. What I always say is, I wouldn't take a million dollars for him or give you a dime for another one. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What's the matter, sis? There's my daddy eating another hamburger. He's going to make himself sick eating all that junk. Daddy! Daddy, put that down this minute. Parents must be a great responsibility to a little squirt like that, eh, Molly? Yes, they must be. (laughs) From what I can judge, a father may bring his little boy out to the circus, but it takes a circus to bring out the little boy in the father. (laughs) All right, folks, only a dime ten cents to see Osteo, the human skeleton, who stands six feet high in his overcoat and weighs only 47 pounds in his stocking feet. The Osteo, the human skeleton, otherwise known as Benny the Bag of Bones. Oh, Step right up, folks. Yeah. Step right up there. Hey, Molly, let's go and see the human skeleton. Well, all right, if you want to, but to me, no thin man is any good without Werner Loy. <laughs> Hey, bud, two tickets, please. Thank you, brother, thank you. And if you'll step right in, the lecture is about to begin. Look at the crowd, will you? What's that automobile got to do with the human skeleton? I don't know, but he's skinny enough to double as a windshield wiper. (laughs) All right, folks, if you'll give me your kind attention. Take a good look at Osteo, the human skeleton. But don't, don't crowd him, please. Osteo is easily rattled. Ha, ha, rattle for the folks, Osteo. Thank you, thank you. And now we will show you how the human skeleton got himself into this deplorable condition. Proceed, Osteo. Well, look, McGee, he's polishing the automobile. Exactly, and polishing it the old-fashioned way. (laughs) That's what happened to Benny the Bag of Bones, folks. Wore himself to a shadow trying to restore the finish on his automobile with an inferior hard-rubbing cleaner and polish. Now, if he'd only used the new and sensational Johnson's Car New, the double-action, easy-to-use product that cleans and polishes at the same time, he would no doubt have been as fat and sassy as any of us here today because... Excuse me a minute, folks. Hey, buddy. Uh, Me? What you want? Uh, Hey, stick around, pal. After this lecture, we put on a special show in the rear tent for men only. 25 cents extra. Oh, 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 boy. Uh, For for men only, huh? Uh, What kind of a show is it, bud? You can see the human skeleton polish a trailer. Oh. Come on, McGee. What was 
that I intended to do. Oh, yeah, buy a toy whip. Wonder where the guy is that sells the toy whip. Oh, whips. you don't want any of those silly things, McGee. I won't let you spend your money for such fools. Excuse me, brother, but aren't you Fibber McGee? Huh? Well, if it ain't my old pal Buster Dawson. Who's Buster Dawson? Oh, he's this fellow right here. Well, I'm glad to see you again, Buster. This is my wife, Molly. How do you do, I'm sure. Howdy, ma'am. Any wife of McGee's is a friend of mine. Well, what you doing around here, Buster, old topper? Oh, didn't you know? I own this circus. Uh, have you folks seen the performance yet? Well, not as yet, no, Mr. Dawson. No. Well, I'll be glad to have you as my guest. Oh. Just ask the usher to take you to the owner's box. Oh, certainly appreciate this, boss. Oh, not at all, not at all, <laughs> McGee. If you have any trouble, just yell for my head roused about Slugs McGinty. Slugs McGinty. Ah, there's a fine old aristocratic name. Old Mayflower stock, I presume. No, old cauliflower. <laughs> Buster, you... Me and Buster here used to be in the circus business together, Molly. I can't remember right now whether he worked for me or whether I worked for him, but we was in the same outfit for years. Uh, wasn't we, Buster? Yep, and you worked for me, McGee. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did at that. Well, now, isn't that nice? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We always used to say that nobody could clean a cage like young Ratface. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember how we used to call you Ratface, McGee? Why, <laughs> <laughs> uh, A great bunch of kidders, them guys, Molly. <laughs> well, McGee, I've got to go check up hey, on the... Hey, Molly, tickets. look. There's Mrs. Uppington. Well, what on earth is she doing at a circus? Uh, I bet she's going to take a lesson from the camels in how to look supercilious. <laughs> Say, uh, that the lady you're talking about over there? Yeah. She looks sort of familiar to me. She'd look familiar to anybody who'd ever open up a can of prunes. <laughs> I never saw such an old pickle... Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. Oh, how do you do, Mr. McGee? And Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. Oh, my goodness, so this is a circus. A great gay, isn't it? You mean to say you've never been to a circus before, Uppy? She travels with her own, McGee. Huh? Three rings under each eye. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Mrs. Uppington. Just oh, kidding. certainly, my dear. I always consider the all. Wow. <laughs> oh, but isn't this interesting? I have just begun to realize what I've been missing all these years. What with my sheltered childhood and strict upbringing, I... Uh, oh, Mr. McGee, uh, aren't you forgetting something? Where's your social graces, McGee? Huh? Give Mrs. Uppington a knockdown to Mr. Dawson. <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me. Uh, Mrs. Uppington, I'd like to have you meet an old pal of mine, Buster Dawson. This is Mrs. Abigail Uppington, Mr. Dawson. She's the hot hair in our social register. How do you do, Mr. Dawson? Charmed, I'm sure. <laughs> Mrs. Abigail Uppington, eh? <laughs> what are you trying to do, Fibber? Kid me? Social leader? Oh, that's a hot one. <laughs> Paul, I consider that you owe me an apology. Oh, lay off, Toots. You're killing me. What? <laughs> Paul? What do you mean, Buster? Why, don't you recognize the McGee? Huh? Oh, no, no, I guess she was before your time. Why, when I knew her, she was Mademoiselle Tootsie Latour, queen of the bareback riders. Hey, ah. eh, Toots? <laughs> well, for heavenly days. I deny everything. I always wondered how she could stay up on her high horse without being trained for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why don't you break down, Tootsie? You got nothing to be ashamed of. Why, you were the second best rider under canvas. Second best? And who was better than I? My, uh, whoop, what am I saying? Happy as the cook said to the waiter when he spilled the beans, I guess you've spilled the beans. <laughs> well, really, I, oh, this is most embarrassing. Uh, you never could keep your trap shut, Buster Dawson. <laughs> How did you ever come to leave the circus, Abigail? Uh, well, 
One night I was doing my double backflip through three paper hoops to a handstand, <laughs> and something frightened my horse, and I landed on a gentleman's lap in the reserved seat. <laughs> no wonder she's always acted so chilly, Molly. She's a Laplander. <laughs> And then what happened, Mrs. Uppington? I mean, uh, Toots. <laughs> uh, that gentleman, my dear, was Mr. Uppington. He proposed to me the moment they revived him. Ah. <gasps> oh, how I long to be out there again, doing my triple forward somersault over four white horses. Uh, maybe I could fall in love with another gentleman like Mr. Uppington. Or am I just being a silly girl? <laughs> oh, well, goodbye, my dear. Goodbye, Mr. McGee. And so long, Buster, you rat. <laughs> the King's Men present The Singing Hills The Singing Hills The Singing Tonight And echoing a song of long ago Here's the big tent. I'll have to ask an usher where Dawson's private box is, I guess. Ah, there. Good day, my dear. And hello to you, Windsock. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Boomer? Hi, Boomer. What you doing here? Got a temporary appointment as deputy sheriff, Cornpone. <laughs> on the pickpocket detail. Oh. Imagine me on the pickpocket detail. <laughs> <laughs> 
as if picking pockets was ever anything but a detail to me. <laughs> so you're a sheriff, eh? Let's see your badge, Boomer. Quiet little skeptic, aren't you? You betcha. Also spelled without the K. <laughs> <laughs> Now, let me see. What did I do with that badge? Shall we begin, Begin? Yes, Goon. Beg pardon? Yes, Goon. Uh, you, you read that wrong, Molly. It says, yes, go on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Now, let me see. Where did I put that sheriff's badge? I had it right here a minute ago. Badge, badge, badge. Here's my little Swiss watch. I think it's a Swiss watch. Fellow certainly yodeled when I took it. <laughs> Snapshot of Billy Rose's aquacade. Never saw so many chorus girls in one dive in my life. <laughs> the handful of upset diamonds. No, no, I mean unset. <laughs> it was the jeweler who was upset. <laughs> Here's an old passport of mine. I was quite a wealthy man when I first came to this country. Had 53 pieces of luggage. Heavenly days. 53 pieces. Yes, indeed. Deck of cards and a blackjack. <laughs> ah, what's this? Oh, yes. The inevitable check for an abbreviated beer. Oh, well, imagine that. No deputy sheriff's badge. I've been robbed. Help, police, deputy sheriff. Somebody get him. Quick, guy's as crooked as a snake's hind leg. Dog's hind leg, dearie. I know, but I like dogs. <laughs> oh, well, let's go on in, Molly. Imagine us sitting right in the owner's private box. Yeah. General admission tickets, please. Oh, here you are, bud. Come on, Molly. Well, listen now, how do we find Mr. Dawson's private box? Oh, we'll find it. If not, we can always ask for spuds or chug or thug. What did he say that guy's name was? Well, I don't remember. Ask the usher. Oh, uh, hey, usher, where's Mr. Dawson's private box? Right here, Mr. First Box on the left. Oh, oh. thank you. Oh, aren't these lovely seats, Dizzy? Yes, sir. Some uh, stuff, huh? Best in the house. Well, it sure pays to have friends, don't it, Molly? It certainly does. Won't be long now. All right, you two. Out of them seats, them's reserved for the boss. Now, listen, it's all right, boy. We're Mr. Dawson's guests. Oh, yeah? Well, let me see your pass. I ain't got a pass, bud. Uh, me and Buster's old pal. Sure. I used to know him way back in the Come on, come on. Quit stalling out of them seats. No, oh. no, wait a minute, bud. Don't get so tough. You can't throw us out of here. Oh, no? No. Well, who's going to stop me? You or who else? Uh, me and who else? Uh, 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 me and... Uh, how much, uh, who's that fellow Buster told us he yelled for? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, me and McGillicuddy, that's who. Uh, hey, McGillicuddy! I'm not scared of you and all your friends. Now get out of that box before I drag you. Uh, uh, McGee, maybe we better go back and... Oh, no, don't uh, worry, Molly. I know how to handle this. Uh, uh, hey, McGillicuddy! Uh, oh, that's not it. Oh, oh, hey, McGonagall, I need you. All right, cut out that yelling. You're creating a disturbance. Hey, McGonagall. I warned you to pipe down. Now take this. Oh, see here, mister. Stop that this instant. Yeah, cut that out. Oh, McGinnis. Oh, my goodness. Uh (laughs) For heaven's sakes, McGee, quick. Think of that man's name. Oh, I got it. I remember now. Hey, Mc... Oh, that read it. I forgot it again. All right, scram, stupid. I won't do it. Hey, McGivney, McSweeney, McDonald, McCushlet. Now listen, Tommy. You're getting in my hair. I'm McGuire. McCoy. McBride. Oh, McGee. McGee. No, no, that's me. McNutt. 
the door. Well, I guess I got to show you I'm made business. Oh, oh dear, oh, dear. Oh, my. Oh. You poor dear. Now, take him away, lady. Oh. That'll teach him to get fresh with slugs, McGinty. McGinty! McGinty, that's it. Hey, McGinty! <laughs> Bibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. For more than 50 years, the makers of Johnson's Wax have done their best to provide their customers with the finest polishes that can be made. Scientists are constantly at work in the Johnson Wax laboratories, developing new products, perfecting old ones. When you buy any one of the famous Johnson Wax polishes, you know that you'll be getting complete satisfaction. Before any new product is offered for sale, it's thoroughly tested, both in the laboratory and by hundreds of users. From one end of this country to the other, we can almost say from one end of the world to the other, you'll find the most particular housewives depending on Johnson's Wax and the other fine Johnson Wax polishes to keep their homes beautifully clean and shining with the least possible effort and expense. It most certainly pays you to insist on the genuine Johnson's Wax products in their attractive packages. These products include genuine Johnson's Wax, paste or liquid, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat for floors and linoleum, Johnson's car new for automobiles, Johnson's cream wax furniture polish. Well, you still think circuses are fun, McGee? Sure I do, in spite of everything. Brings back the old days, Molly. Hmm, that's right. You used to be with the circus, huh? Sure. I'm an old lion tamer. Is that so? Mm-hmm. Why'd you ever quit? I ran out of old lions. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. You Can't Brush Me Off is from Louisiana Purchase. This is the National Broadcasting Company. The Railroad Hour. And here comes the summer show train. See it 
Association of American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life, brings you the Railroad Summer Show Train, starring Gordon McRae and featuring Lucille Norman, with the music of Carmen Dragon and the orchestra, script by Gene Holloway, and the choir under the direction of Norman Lubach. And now here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, tonight we're going to ride the summer show train back through time and memory to the year that you lived yesterday. Tonight's destination, 1925. Nineteen twenty-five, America. Al Smith was governor of New York. The Prince of Wales was thirty-one and the most eligible bachelor in the world. Jack Dempsey got married, and Babe Ruth got hurt, and Mary Pickford almost got kidnapped. Charles Chaplin was working on his great movie, The Gold Rush, and Harold Lloyd was the delight of the nation. And on Broadway on September twenty-first. Dennis King appeared as Francois Villon and made theatrical history seeing the magnificent Rudolph Grimmel score of The Vagabond King. Amore, you beggars of Paris town, you lousy rabble of low degree. You rabble of low degree. To keep his crown and save our city from Burgundy. Our city from Burgundy. You and I are good for nothing but to die. We can die for liberty. Sons of toil and danger, will you serve a stranger and bow down to Burgundy? June 15, 1925. 
You're standing on the beach at Sandy Hook. You and the people around you are staring across the water. 21 miles across that water is the New York district known as the Battery. Over seven hours ago, a 17-year-old girl plunged into the water below the Battery and started swimming toward Sandy Hook. Here she comes! Slowly, steadily, the girl swims towards the shore. The usual boat moves watchfully beside her. Now the sand is solid beneath her feet. Now she stands and splashes out of the water towards the excited spectators. What was the time? Seven hours, eleven minutes, and thirty seconds. Then she's broken the record. I'll see you later, Mike. I gotta make my deadline. Gertrude Ederley's gonna be on the front page of the afternoon edition. In 1925, Gertrude Dudley swam from the battery to the front pages of the world. And in 1925, the most perfect boy and girl in America were picked at the Chicago International Livestock Exhibition. The girl was 15 years old, 5 feet 5, and weighed 131 pounds. The boy was 14 years old, 5 feet 7, and weighed 155 pounds. You read about it and said, wait to be healthy. But she went right on diving. That was because a lady wasn't a lady unless she had a voice to do. You tried to be up to date and modern, and you frowned on sentiment. you hear now are the death cries of an entire era. You're sitting in a building in New York City at Fifth Avenue and 44th Street in the company of 50 men. A short distance away, men are at work tearing down the very building in which you are sitting. The moment is a solemn one. It will be remembered by everyone present. Mm. Gentlemen, this is the last time we shall meet within these walls. For a hundred years, the great men of the nation have died here. The greatest beauties of each generation have entered these doors. With its passing, one of New York's great symbols and landmarks is gone. Gentlemen, will you join me in a last toast? To Delmonico. Yes, in nineteen twenty five, Delmonico's was torn down. And the papers announced that a 30-story office building would be built where it had stood. 
On January 5th, 1925, the first woman governor of the state was inaugurated, Mrs. Nellie T. Ross of Wyoming. And on January 20th, the second woman governor, Mrs. Miriam Ferguson, was inaugurated in Texas. Single hair was the vote. The flapper was the girl of the hour. And your favorite dance, the Charleston. <laughs> Folks had plenty to sing about, and they had plenty of good songs to sing, too. Vincent Humans was one of our top composers, and the score for his newest musical, No No Nanette, America found a very tasty, tuneful dish of tea. Day will break, and I will break. 
This is the most embarrassing matter that's ever come to my attention. Where did you find that snake? I found him in Dublin. Yeah. I wish to close your eyes and look the other way. There hasn't been a snake seen in Ireland since St. Patrick got rid of them centuries ago. Maybe this one was the leftover. We'd better turn him over to the National Museum. I know they'll want to put him on each of us. I think we should discover a snake in Ireland after all these years. <laughs> yes, the Irish discovered a snake in their midst and promptly put him on exhibit. Oh, there was a lot of things that made headlines that year. Hindenburg was elected president of Germany. There was a land boom in Florida. And uh, two promising young lads named Rogers and Hart wrote the score for their first full-fledged musical comedy, Dearest Enemy. And everyone began humming a great hit song. Oh, 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 oh,
Maybe you did try to frown on sentiment back in 1925, but still the sentimental songs were your biggest favorite. Just a cottage small on the new all-electric radio set which you thought were the cat blisters after those crystal sets with headphones. Red Grange from Illinois was the big name in sports and Lieutenant Commander Richard E. Byrd was one of the big names in progress. New Yorkers saw Governor Al Smith 80,000 boys marched in the Boys Week Loyalty Day Parade. 1925 was the year of the Great Earthquake in Japan. And the year of the Great Cyclone in the Middle West. was the summer that things got so hot in Washington, they decided to see if they could fry an egg at the corner of 4th East and Pennsylvania Avenue. They could, and they did. The egg fried in exactly nine minutes. Things moved to the Mary Cliff in the middle of the Roaring Twenties. Janet Gaynor moved from Hollywood right into the heart of America. And the heart of New York was at the feet of blonde, blue-eyed Marilyn Miller, who opened in September of 1925 in Jerome Kern's great musical Sunny, singing one of the great hits of all time. <laughs> Dreams I know can never be true. Seems as though I'll ever be Twenty-five. 
25 years back into time and memory. Clarence Darrow's year. Secretary of State Kellogg's year. The year the cable was opened between the United States and Spain when President Coolidge sent greetings to King Alfonso. The year of the flasher and the chief of short skirts and helmet hats. The year John Gilbert and Renee Adderay appeared in the movie The Big Parade and Mary Murray film The Merry Widow. 25 years back to those days of the Roaring Twenties. The laughter, the headlines, the hours so good to live, so good to look back on. And in 1925, The Student Prince was one of the great hits of Broadway. And the serenade was well on its way to becoming immortal.
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. In just a moment, I'll tell you what we have in store for you next week. The Summer Show Train is written by Gene Holloway and brought to you each week this time by the American Railroad. The same railroad that will carry most of the nation's Boy Scouts to the National Jamboree at Valley Forge this week. It seems many years ago, but I still recall my scouting days with a great deal of pleasure. The days packed with adventure, travel, and fun. And this week, 47,000 lads from all over the country will take part in the colorful, exciting program to commemorate the 40th anniversary of scouting in America. About 8 out of 10 will travel by rail. Their parents share their enthusiasm for this trip, secure in the knowledge that the railroads will transport their sons safely and comfortably to and from their homes. The American Railroads extend congratulations to the Boy Scouts of America and wish them every success on the eve of this, their 40th anniversary. George M. Cohan, the Yankee Doodle Boy, was a sensation back in the early 1900s. And so it's fitting that the summer show train should take you on a special 4th of July trip to the early 1900s to relive some of their interesting happenings and hear many of the greatest songs of that period, like Yankee Doodle Boy, Mighty Like a Rose, and Ida. So folks, join us again next Monday and ride with us aboard the summer show train back to the 1900s. If you enjoyed hearing the song of the Vagabonds, friends, and tonight's program, Lucille and I would like to remind you that we've recorded the entire score of both the Vagabond King and the New Moon on Capitol Records in all three playing speeds. So now you can hear, too, the, the uh, operators you enjoy on the Railroad Hour anytime in these new Capitol albums. It looks as though we're ready to pull out. So until next week, goodbye. Gordon McVeigh is currently starring in the Warner Brothers Technicolor Western, The Return of the Frontiersman. Now for Lucille Norman, Carmen Dragon in the orchestra, the Norman Lubov Choir, and our star Gordon McRae. This is Marvel with a hearty invitation from the American Railroad to join us again next week and ride the summer show train back to the early 1900s. And now stay tuned to your Monday night of music on NBC. Listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Mm-hmm.